This week on the 10A Podcast, the Clam Slam with the Estrogen Ensemble. Kind of being scared of like what's going to happen, not knowing, but like the high intensity, go, 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 go. And I just got to the point where I'm like, I just don't, if this is what this job is going to be like, I don't want it. So completely directionless in life. Crappy agency can really make or break how you feel about this career. That's not normal. If you, if you deal with bad crap and then you have bad politics, it's just a recipe for burnout and disaster. When you're not good at work, bring it home and it affects everything. Stuff that goes on within the police department. All that stress, I think compounded over time, is almost more deadly on a grand scheme than the bad guys that we face in the streets. The views and opinions expressed on the 108 podcast are those of the authors and guests individually. The 108 podcast is for entertainment purposes only and is not affiliated with any entity, agency, or department. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening. Welcome to the 10A Podcast, the podcast where we talk about all things that make police work great again. This is episode 306, The Clam Slam with the Estrogen Ensemble. It's a cheeky title for an amazing conversation. My guest tonight, one is a fiery detective from the great state of Arizona, quite possibly one of my all-time favorite police officers, and just an amazing person, bar none, my friend, the Pew Pew Goddess, a.k.a. Cat. And my second guest, I like to call Scooter Trash. She's my good friend, Officer Deep Dish, a.k.a. Laura, from right here in Florida. We have an amazing episode coming for you, folks. But first, let's go ahead and handle some business and give a shout out to our sponsors. Listen, it's no surprise to anyone that law enforcement agencies suck at getting the word out to their citizens they serve. Whether it's debriefing a critical incident or educating the public about various aspects of law enforcement, it takes a special skill set that too many in law enforcement don't have. In this ever-changing world of social media, do you, your agency, and your community a favor and check out TOC Public Relations, a company ran by former law enforcement to help you get your message out in an appropriate and professional way. Check them out on social media as well as TOCPublicRelations.com. Let me tell you something you already know. Living a life in public service is a life of sacrifice. But you cannot serve the community or back your partner up if you're not physically able to do so. According to a report by the Wall Street Journal, more than 40% of law enforcement officers are obese. Other studies have found that police officers are 25% more likely to die from weight-related disorders like cardiovascular disease, high blood pressure, diabetes, and even some cancers. Why continue to be a liability to your partners, your loved ones, your community, and yourself? Contact the folks at fit.responders and get your fight back. This episode is also brought to you by my new friends over at RTI Training, giving the type of training that incorporates humor and knowledge that cops respond to. Listen, we all know that you will never retain anything thanks to death by PowerPoint. So do yourself a favor and check out the new kids on the block when it comes to police training. They are revelationstraining.com. And guys, I also want to tell you about our sponsor, Jiu-Jitsu 5.0. They just came out with the Jiu-Jitsu 5.0 app. It is the ultimate training tool for all law enforcement. Members of the app get on-demand access to a huge library of techniques for the streets, grappling-based workouts, yoga, and a monthly nutrition plan. They also have 24-hour, 7-day-a-week access to Jason, the founder of Jiu-Jitsu 5.0, for personalized training assistance. So... Go to the app store of your choosing and download the Jiu-Jitsu 5.0 app today. It's available for Android as well as Apple, so get on it now. 
And last but not least, this episode is brought to you by Thin Vine Wines. Thin Vine Wines is a mission-driven wine company that proudly backs first responders and the military. With a background in law enforcement, their support for police, dispatch, fire, and the military is unwavering. Thin Vine Wines donates $2 from every bottle sold to law enforcement and military-driven nonprofits. Making awesome wine is the vehicle. Making wine with a purpose is the mission. Check out their social medias at Thin Vine Wines on Instagram and Facebook and order online at thinvine.wine using the code 10-8-T-E-N, the number 8, for $10 off two or more bottles of wine. As always, go do me a favor and go show some love to the sponsors. They are all on Instagram. They all have their own websites or Facebook groups, and they all have something they're selling. Support small businesses, especially the ones ran by hardworking individuals that care about their brothers and sisters in blue. So go buy some merch. Go check them out. Ask about their services, whatever possible. At the very least, follow and share. Now, speaking of Sisters in Blue, today's episode features two, I said two, badass Sisters in Blues. As I said, we have Kat and we have Laura, two women police officers that constantly inspire me to be a better person and inspire others to be better police officers. This episode came to fruition after last year's episode, it was 242, it was the the Black Cop episode, so go check that out. One of my favorite episodes. And I asked after that episode what other groups of cops they wanted to hear from. And the overwhelming majority of my listeners said they wanted to hear from female cops. They wanted to hear their take on police work. Now, I think in part it was because the folks on Instagram wanted to hear female cops rag on TikTok and Instagram influencers and the ones that have OnlyFans and all that crap. The truth is, while we do talk about that slightly, we really don't dwell on it. I think it's important to understand that good cops care more about the quality of the job on the street and the quality of people in the uniform than just ragging on the low-hanging fruit. Furthermore, it has me thinking, you know, famous for what? Why am I going to give more attention to these people that don't necessarily deserve it? I mean, I could spend a whole lot of time ragging on influencer cops and Instagram famous cops and all that, but I won't. It will more than likely be an echo chamber for the people that support my opinion and be divisive or even fall on deaf ears for those that don't. And really, at the end of the day, I don't care. That's why when me, Poorly Made, Jim Tam Patrol, and Popo Medic called out the fake cop humor page, the one that actually dislikes cops but still takes your money, uh, she still has 200,000 followers. So really, you know, the people that cared about it, they listened, but at the end of the day, it accomplished nothing. So I'm not going to spend a lot of time talking about that. But if you do want to hear me talk a little bit more about like the cringy Instagram cops and, and whatever, you can check out my episode in December with Huge Fat Loser, Aaron Lohman. Uh, we do talk about that for a little bit in that episode as well. So you'll get a little bit more of my opinion. Maybe I'll talk about it a little bit more then. So enough on the influencers. Um, like I said, just listen to this conversation because it does get a little spicy. But for the most part, I, my biggest takeaway this conversation is what we talk about the most. And for almost two full hours, we talk about toxicity in law enforcement and how we overcome it. That's the most important thing, and I believe it comes down to leadership. By being a figurehead in law enforcement, I'd say a chief, sheriff, all the way down to senior patrol, you are a pillar of influence to that agency. And I feel like as we look at law enforcement administration, we need to look at it like a corporation. It all trickles down. In a moment, before the conversation with Laura and Kat, 
I'm going to interject a clip from one of Simon Sinek's TED Talks where he talks about how leadership makes you feel safe and how that accomplishes more towards your mission. Now, this is a two-hour-long episode, so I'm going to stop rambling now, but I just want to end with this lamentation. I don't even know if that's a proper word. The culture of an organization is as much of a responsibility of the line staff as it is the top-level executives. And if the culture of your organization is sour, you will feel that ripple all the way through the agency. And if the bottom tier doesn't trust the top, you will have major, major issues. That's how you get more division. That's how you get clicks. It's not good. So with that in mind, let's check out this clip from Simon Sinek. So I asked myself, where do people like this come from? And my initial conclusion was that they're just better people. That's why they're attracted to the military. These better people are attracted to this concept of service. But that's completely wrong. What I learned is that it's the environment. And if you get the environment right, every single one of us has the capacity to do these remarkable things. And more importantly, others have that capacity too. I've had the great honor of getting to meet some of these who we would call heroes, who've put themselves and put their lives at risk to save others. And I asked them, why would you do it? Why did you do it? And they all say the same thing, because they would have done it for me. It's this deep sense of trust and cooperation. So trust and cooperation are really important here. The problem with concepts of trust and cooperation is that they are feelings, they're not instructions. I can't simply say to you, trust me, and you will. I can't simply instruct two people to cooperate, and they will. It's not how it works, it's a feeling. So where does that feeling come from? If you go back 50,000 years to the Paleolithic era, to the early days of Homo sapien, what we find is that the world was filled with danger. All of these forces working very, very hard to kill us. Whether it was the weather, lack of resources, maybe a saber-toothed tiger, all of these things working to reduce our lifespan. And so we evolved into social animals, where we live together and work together in what I call a circle of safety inside the tribe, where we felt like we belong. And when we felt safe amongst our own, the natural reaction was trust and cooperation. There are inherent benefits to this. It means I can fall asleep at night and trust that someone from within my tribe will watch for danger. If we don't trust each other, if I don't trust you, that means you won't watch for danger. Bad system of survival. The modern day is exactly the same thing. The world is filled with danger, things that are trying to frustrate our lives or reduce our success, reduce our opportunity for success. We have no control over these forces. These are a constant, and they're not going away. The only variable are the conditions inside the organization. And that's where leadership matters, because it's the leader that sets the tone. When a leader makes the choice to put the safety and lives of the people inside the organization first, to sacrifice their comforts and sacrifice the tangible results so that the people remain and feel safe and feel like they belong, remarkable things happen. You see, if the conditions are wrong, we are forced to expend our own time and energy to protect ourselves from each other. And that inherently weakens the organization. When we feel safe inside the organization, we will naturally combine our talents and our strengths and work tirelessly to face the dangers outside and seize the opportunities. The closest analogy I can give to what a great leader is is like being a parent. If you think about what being a great parent is, what do you want? What makes a great parent? We want to give our child opportunities, education, discipline them when necessary, all so that they can grow up and achieve more than we could for ourselves. 
Great leaders want exactly the same thing. They want to provide their people opportunity, education, discipline when necessary, build their self-confidence, give them the opportunity to try and fail, all so that they could achieve more than we could ever imagine for ourselves. Great leaders would never sacrifice the people to save the numbers. They would sooner sacrifice the numbers to save the people. Leadership is a choice. It is not a rank. I know many people at the senior-most levels of organizations who are absolutely not leaders. They are authorities, and we do what they say because they have authority over us. But we would not follow them. And I know many people who are at the bottoms of organizations who have no authority, and they are absolutely leaders. And this is because they have chosen to look after the person to the left of them, and they have chosen to look after the person to the right of them. This is what a leader is. We call them leaders because they go first. We call them leaders because they take the risk before anybody else does. We call them leaders because they will choose to sacrifice so that their people may be safe and protected, and so his, their people may gain. And when we do, the natural response is that our people will sacrifice for us. They will give us their blood and sweat and tears to see that their leader's vision comes to life. And when we ask them, "Why would you do that?" Why would you give your blood and sweat and tears for that person? They all say the same thing, because they would have done it for me. And isn't that the organization we would all like to work in? Thank you, ladies and gentlemen. If you just listened to that talk and you feel fired up to lead your people to the depths of hell, amazing! You'll love today's episode. If you feel seemingly unmoved, well, either you feel called out, or maybe you're just burned out to the point of ineffectiveness. Or somewhere in between. For everyone in the first group, though, it's an amazing conversation that awaits you, and it is my great opportunity to bring you episode 306 of the 10A podcast, The Clamp Slam. Time to check it Uh, constipated cats be damned. We are here. We are making it happen. Finally. We are here. So this is the much-awaited, highly anticipated uh, Girl Cops episode. And so here we are. Let's go ahead and just jump right into everything and let's introduce our guest today. We are missing one of our guests. That's okay, but we're going to start all the way out in Arizona. We have Pew Pew Goddess herself, the rock star. Cat, hey. how are you? I'm doing spectacular. How are you? I'm just fine and dandy, and um, yeah, looking forward to chatting with you again. We had a great chat, almost like oh, yeah. half a year ago now, and then uh, yeah, I was gonna say, it feels like a long time ago. It it does. It seems like an entire lifetime. And then joining me from Florida, the other side of Florida, is my good friend Deep Dish. You may know her from the um, Ten Eight Greens post that I've done a few times. She came out and played golf badly with us. How are you doing? It's wet fuck now. It is. Officially, how are you? I'm good. I'm I'm good. <laughs> good. Living so, the dream, right? Living the dream, or is it a nightmare? That's what I always try to figure out. So, just so everyone knows who you are, you both are. We're gonna go ahead and let you guys introduce yourselves. So, we'll start with Deep Dish. 
Um, just tell us who you are, where you're from, what you know, what you do, all that good stuff, and then we'll have Cat do the same. I feel like this is the start of like every law enforcement class I've ever taken, and every time <laughs> I struggle. I am, I'm a 25 year old female born cop. Um, and <laughs> I've been in law enforcement for coming up on five years. It started in EMS. Uh, I'm originally from Chicago, moved down to Florida in 2015, and just kind of dove right into public safety. It's all I know. I've never done anything else. So I'm lucky to be here. <laughs> nice. Just got to fake your way through it. Oh, I've been pretending the whole time. Uh, no one's caught on yet. Fake it till you make it. Yeah. Exactly. And Kat, go ahead and introduce yourself. Oh boy, um, I'm Kat, I'm 38. I've been in law enforcement for eight years now. Um, I'm originally from Detroit, Michigan. Um, I actually just got a promotion to detective. So I, it's been, you know, a, kind of a bittersweet thing because I missed the street, but um, I've been in an investigatory position since March now. So yeah, love it. Loving uh, working in, we'll say southeastern Arizona. I'm not going to say exactly where, but I'm sure if you Google my name, you can figure it out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you, it's funny because yeah. you're kind of, you're a little tough with your name, you know, your identity, but at the same time, you're like plastered all over the place too. I'm like. It's weird, especially since I just did, uh, I'm just on the heels of that uh, magazine thing that I did. Now I'm even more out there, um, but my agency was like, hey, just make sure you're really specifically scrubbing your uniform. So, although my boss reposted my magazine cover, so I'm like, yeah, if, if you Google me, I'll figure out where, where I work. Right, if you really care, but you really, don't don't be weird about it. Like, I don't understand people like, hey, I know where this person lives. Great, good like, for you. Cool. <laughs> so, I guess we'll start from the very beginning. And we'll just figure out why. We'll figure out why you decided to be in law enforcement. And then we'll just kind of go from there. So we'll start with Kat. I'm going to try to do this like back and forth thing. We'll start with Cat 1. We'll start with Deep the next. Um, so we'll start with Cat. Why did you decide to go into law enforcement? Was anyone in your family law enforcement? What? How did this all start? Um, the only person in law enforcement in my family is my uncle. And he works uh, in Michigan. It's like fish and game. Um, so for, for the most part, nobody in my family is law enforcement. Um I kind of just had a weird path to this job, essentially. Um, I grew up in Detroit, so I kind of grew up in a rough area. I had a lot of interesting experiences as a child that kind of, I guess, impacted me in my formative years, I'll say. When I went to college, I worked for a university police department as a civilian, didn't particularly care for it. I always ha- I was dead set on working for the feds. I'm like, I want to work for the feds. Um, after I graduated, I did an internship with a three-letter agency, and I hated it, like absolutely hated it. Um, at that point, I still wasn't sure what I wanted to do, so I went to graduate school. I hated that. <laughs> I did get my master's degree, but I hated it. Um, but what I realized is just through the process of elimination, what I actually did want to do, which was work on the street. So it's just it's challenging in all the ways I found that, like, yeah, it's great to have an educational background, but it working the street and solving those problems when you're in a dynamic situation is I love it. I love everything about it. So I kind of came about being a cop in a backwards way, I guess, if that mm-hmm. makes sense. Right. Right. You kind of like fell in, like tripped into it while you were doing other things. You just kind of like landed in it. Yeah. I feel like I was always on this trajectory to do this, but just, it took me a while to figure it out. And, and truthfully, like girl, I give you credit for wanting to do this stuff when you're super young, because when I was 21, I was still being an idiot. <laughs> And I really, I seriously, I did need the maturity to be able to do this job. So I didn't start this job until I was 27. 
And Deep Dish, what about you? How did you get here? Uh, so I actually have no one in my family that's in law enforcement. I'm the first cop. And I, I was always, like, really scholastic. Like, my parents were really pushing me, like, go med school, go med school, go med school. And I was like, okay, I'm going to go med school. And then come around, like, 16, I'm like, oh, my gosh, like, I have to go to college. I have to sit at the desk. I have to have, like, a real people job. And that freaked me the F out. I was like, no way. That sounds miserable. Like, I want nothing to do with that. Wake up at 8, go to work, Monday through Friday grind. Like, it, it literally felt like a nightmare. And every day I got close to graduation, and it was just, like, daunting on me. So my dad was a Marine. I was like, well, maybe, like, Marine Corps kind of got gung-ho on that for a little bit. And then I wasn't able to, you know, serve. I have hearing issues from my childhood, so I couldn't pass a hearing test. So I ended up graduating and having no freaking clue what I wanted to do with my life, no direction. Like, all the plans I had got dumped, you know, over end. And my parents were like, hey, take a year off, figure out what you want to do, because you, you're better off taking a year off and not spending a ton of money going to college if you're not really, like, invested in that. Um, so I did that, and I, I moved to Florida in the process, and the week I moved here, I was like, okay, I got to get a job. Like, I can't just live for free. I mean, so, you can. <laughs> That's very common in Florida for people to live for free. I was going to say, I mean, I guess I could have been, like, the clientele I served, but no. So I'm like, I got to get a job, right? I, you know, live beach town with you, and you see all those red trucks, the lifeguards, and I was like, yeah, it looks pretty cool. Uh, and they paid pretty well at the time. You know, it's better than working at McDonald's with burgers for $7 an hour. So I was like, I guess we'll go do that. Like, still directionless. And um, I never was a swimmer. Like, never swam. Started swimming at the pool. Got hired at lifeguarding. And I fell in love with that. I was like, I love the adrenaline. I love, you know, kind of being scared of, like, what's going to happen, not knowing. But, like, the high intensity, go, 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 go. Loved it. Mm -hmm. So... Um, I made friends there, obviously, and they start moving on to the next steps. Like, some of my friends are going to EMT, some of them are becoming cops, and I'm watching everyone around me doing something with their life. And I'm now 19 and still don't have a college degree, still don't have plans to go to college, still don't have, like, a real job. So I'm like, you know what? I'm going to go EMS. I'm going I'm to try the EMT thing out. And I did EMT, and it was fast-paced again. You know, I loved it. I loved going to hot calls, loved seeing the blood guts score, and I decided I wanted to go medic. Ended up not finishing the medic route because of uh, finances at the time. And it, I like, I loved it, but it didn't feel like it fulfilled me in the way that I wanted it to. And by that point, I was 20, and I had a bunch of friends who had gone through police academy, and they're like, dude, you gotta try this. Like, if you like the high intensity, you wanna, like, feel... Yo, bro, you like gotta that. get a hit of this shit. Yeah, you gotta do this. You have to do it. And then, you know, I'm like, well, the, you know, police cat is only four grand. Like, what's a two me if I do it? And I don't like it. So I applied at an agency. They actually hired me and also sponsored me through the academy. And I was like, no, I think I'm gonna pay my own way because I'm really not sure if I wanna do this still. Like, still completely directionless in life. And I went through police academy. And I remember the first day, I'm like, what, what did I do? <laughs> <laughs> I, I just spent $4,000 to be surrounded by a bunch of drooling idiots, you know, like, what am I doing? And I remember, like, re I felt instant regret. I was like, I have to do it, though. I got, I committed to this. I'm going to do it. I'm going to get through it. And I ended up getting hired at a different agency while I was in the police academy that was triple trained. They are police, fire, and EMS. And 
I, I was pretty stoked about that because I was like, you know, I already know that I love EMS. It's kind of like my safety blanket. I don't know anything about fire, but I'm interested in it. And I'm like, I really like, there's something in me that tells me I got to go through with this cop thing. Like, I'm not going to quit just because I don't like going to the, going to school and stuff like that. And I did some ride-alongs while I was in the academy. I'm like, this is cool. Like, I need to do this. I want to go do this myself. And finally get out, get into FTO. And I remember just, it, it, like, it clicked. There was a light bulb that went off. And I was like, this is what I meant to do. Like, I, this mm-hmm. is it. This is hands down. I was born to do this. It's go, 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 go. And then as soon as it's not go, it's just chill out and be smart. And it, it just felt like it was my personality in a career. And I, I fell in love with it. Mm-hmm. And I know like, everything I had been doing up to that point just led me to, okay, this is what I'm supposed to be doing with my life. Right. You, f- you felt like all the stars finally aligned and, and yeah. everything clicked. And, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So through this whole path of you guys, you both kind of had kind of changing paths throughout the way, you know, cat moved, you moved, everyone kind of moved a little bit. You've tried different things to really make sure, you know, cats, um, promotion, you changing different, um, disciplines, you know, going from lifeguard, EMS, law enforcement, things like that. Throughout all of that, all those different things, what kind of, we're going to start back with uh, deep dish here. So weird calling you that, by the way. <laughs> you, can, you, can, you can out my real name. It's okay. Okay. Well, well, okay. So we'll start with you. Through all that, what were the kind of, you already said one, like, um, you know, you didn't want to be in school. You felt like you were trapped in school. But what were some kind of negatives or drawbacks or pushbacks that you were getting throughout the beginning and even to where you are now in your career? I think a lot of people, for me, it, it just wasn't what was expected. Like, you have other people, and it's like, oh, like, I'm going to go be a cop. And they're like, oh, like, I can totally see you doing that. For people that know me, it, right now, as you guys can see me, it might, be, it might be a little bit different, but I have always been Miss Chris. Like, got to have my nails done. Got to have my <laughs> on. So, and then I come out, and I'm like, yeah, I want to be a cop. And people are like, are you freaking crazy? Like, you can't you what and i'm like yeah like i want to run and gun i want to do some but i wanted to do hood stuff with my friend cool stuff and they're like oh no like just sit back like in my parents even for a little bit were like are you sure like you don't (laughs) you don't seem like the kind of person that wants to get their hands dirty and i'm like like for all intents and purposes like i'm like yes i do like just because I haven't done it before doesn't mean that that's not in Now, me. hold on. Let me interrupt you right there. Growing up, did you feel that? Did you feel the need that, like, you wanted to get your hands dirty, get into the nitty-gritty? Or was this something that was, like, unlocked inside of you? Like, wow, I found this and I didn't even know I needed it. I think it's it's definitely the latter because growing up, like, again, I was, I was smart. Like, I was, like, a nerd. You know, I want to go up and have a desk job. Initially, like I grew up being like, oh, I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go be a doctor, I'm gonna go be a psychiatrist, like, I'm gonna go do something brainiac, and I didn't want to get my hands dirty. I wanted to be, you know, some upper, upper echelon, like fancy pants. You know, I didn't want to get into this like field of work. This had nothing. And then you turned twenty, and you're like, yeah, screw all that. I'm gonna be a cop. I'm gonna be but- the bottom of the barrel. It's like I got one little taste of the dirt, the dirt, and I was like, "Okay, I'm hooked." You yes. know, one line, I'm gone. I'm done. I'm ready for it. Mm-hmm. Kat, what about you? 
I got a lot of pushback from my family, actually, um, a ton of pushback because their response to me and keep in mind, like a lot of people don't know this about me. Like I have a master's degree. Um, so I mean, I, I finished my undergrad and three and a half years started my master's degree before I had even graduated my bachelor's came out here did my master's in about a year and a half. Um, so my parents were like, you just spent all this time and money on this education. You're going to waste it. Like, what are you doing? Um, so a bit, a huge pushback was for my family. And I was just like, you know what? It's my life. I don't give a fuck. But I'm going to just swear for you. I should probably ask yeah, you first. Yeah, go for it. <laughs> okay, cool. Um, and then the second pushback that I experienced, and this is just more of like a situational thing, in the first agency that I was in, it really wasn't a good fit for me. So I just felt it was a very negative environment that it just wasn't really conducive to me growing as a professional. Um, and that's something like I had such a negative experience working there that I left law enforcement for three years and I was doing a contracting job. Like that's how much... And, it, and really, a, a crappy agency can really change, it can really make or break how you feel about this career. Yeah. I talk to people all the time that are just like, crappy agency, like, I just hate this job, and they 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 do, you know, three to five years, and they're doing real estate or whatever. Um, I get it, because my first agency what, was not... What causes that? What makes it a crappy agency? What, what characteristics would you say lead to that feeling? Definitely poor leadership. Because poor leadership sets a negative tone and it just this crappy attitude that was just pervasive throughout the agency for us. And again, I'm not going to say what agency. I'm grateful that they gave me the opportunity to start in this career because in, here in Arizona, you, you can self-sponsor, but most of the time um, agencies will sponsor you through. So they sponsored me through and I'm really grateful for that opportunity. I learned a lot of lessons about what I didn't want to do, but at the same time, the culture was just so toxic. We had just a bad chief that just told us verbatim, he's no longer there, he passed away. Um, if you don't like it, then McDonald's is always hiring. And that was the attitude. So, and that was really, oh, yeah. So you can imagine how fun it is to be at that, like that. And then people that had what I called failed upwards, promoted, when had absolutely no business being leaders, right. just made it absolutely worse to the point where I'm just, I, I sat down with my husband at the time and I'm like, I'm so miserable. I hate this. Like, this thing that I started, I really, really wanted. Um, and initially when I started on um, FTO, it was great. And I was doing all these crazy things. And then after a while, it was just like the politics were just so soul-sucking that I just, I needed to take a step back. And I did something else for a couple of years. Um, I'm really grateful to end up right in that now. And I, I love life again. I love being a cop. Mm -hmm. um, so those were kind of the biggest barriers. And then additionally, on top of that, um, and I, I'm lucky and... I've had a, I've had a general, um, generally like a positive experience as job being a female, and a lot of other women aren't. So when I first came to my present agency, they there's shit. We only have maybe twelve women, fifteen women sworn in an agency of two fifty. So, and mm. I think we even had less. They had, hadn't hired um, a woman for a long time. So a lot of people were just kind of trying to feel me out, like, okay, well, what are you about? Um, and I just kind of was like, okay, well, I'm just going to do me. I'm going to do the job that I know how to do, and I didn't have any issues. That's good. Uh, Laura, see, we're dropping first names because that's way more comfortable. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Laura, going back to the the talk, not the toxic agency, but the the, I saw you nodding your head a lot, like, yes, preach. What would you mm -hmm. say as far as like, you know? Because chemistry is a big deal. It's, we're not we're not ragging on individual agencies. It's all about chemistry and what works and what doesn't. And I feel like if you, the individual, do not blend with the chemistry or the culture of an agency, that's 
important because that could be your safety. That could be how you perceive the job. So what would you say would be some key high highlights, red flags? That's the word I'm looking for. What would you say is like a red flag for an agency to like, hey, if you're seeing these red flags, it might be time to, uh, you know, go across country like Kat did. Uh, I think high turnover. If people don't oh, yeah. stay, like, it's really yep. – not hard to recruit someone all you got to do is throw some money at them and most people are willing to get a job what's hard is people staying at a job mm -hmm. and a lot of people do that chasing the dragon you know the grass is greener on the other side you know this mm -hmm. agency this agency is going to offer me a dollar an hour more to do the same job or three dollars yeah. an hour but the thing is that like i had a, i recently had a friend say he's like i could make ten dollars an hour less and i would still do this job because i love the job He's like, there's nothing that would stop me from doing the job. And so when you get these people that are leaving for cents on end or leaving to make less money, that says something about the agency that you're working for. Why are people not staying? Mm -hmm. So look, and there's a place that everyone is below five years on or <laughs> you know, yep. half the department is at one year or people start quitting six months off of FTO. You have to look at that and say, okay, why? And it's, again, it doesn't have to necessarily, necessarily be that it's a bad agency. Some people are bad fits. Sometimes agencies just go through rough patches or have inner drama or inner tragedies that chase people out or people feel like, hey, uh, maybe this isn't for me. You know, 2020 was a huge year between COVID, the riots, all that. I think a lot of people just realize like, hey, this job is not for me. A lot of agencies experience people leaving. But if it's systemic in that agency that like, hey, no one ever stays at this place for more than three years. That would, to me, be like, okay, so am I going to be the outlier that goes here and stays 20 years and does a full career? Probably not. I'm probably going to waste three years of my time that I could be putting towards another agency that's a better fit mm -hmm. that invests in their officers, that cares about us, you know. And, that, again, it's not saying that every agency that has to know is bad, but that would be a and I think I think you're making a good point. I, I remember seeing a recruiting video, and the, <laughs> and the voice um, in it, the thing, the guy was like, "Oh yeah, I'm an FTO after one year," and um, yeah, <laughs> and then he's like, um, "And now I'm in the you know now I'm a training officer for like the whole part of the department with less than three on." I'm like, "That's supposed to be good." Like like they're they're basically promoting the fact that you know high chance of getting promoted super quickly but that's not anyone who sees the job or has been in the job that should not be attracted to anybody because that means why why is someone with three years on training the entire agency that's alarming that's that's a major red flag so i think you made a great point with that so it's funny oh i was gonna say we have a we have another agency that's kind of nearby where um, my agency is um and they were offering tons of money like as a you know starting out as an i think officer i would have been shit probably like one and a half times of what I'm making as like a detective like crazy money and it's interesting because no one at my present agency left despite the fact that we would have all been gotten a $20,000 pay raise the minimum um just yeah. because the culture that we have um and the leadership that we have is so great um for me personally like like I said I've been in an agency where you know I I did I made the okay money but I was just miserable 
and yeah. I didn't want to come to work every day. So I'm willing to make less money and have a great boss and have people I know are going to support me at the end of the day. And my, my boss last year actually was great. He spoke at the um, Arizona Narcotics Officers Association conference. And man, I wish, so there was a, there was a chief from another agency in the Valley. Um, he's been on the news a lot lately and I'm not going to mention who it is. Um, and they've been losing officers at a crazy high rate because of politics. My boss got up there and he's like, you know what? You guys are all suffering from a lack of great leadership. And the entire room just exploded, like hands clapping. And, you know, and that's great. Like, you know, and truly people ask me, like, is he really like that in real life? Yes, he is. He's an amazing boss. Like, And I wish that everyone could experience what it's like to be at an agency that actually wants to have you be there, that supports you. And I'm not going to say, like, we're, we don't have any issues like every agency's got issues of course like but um as far as like i i love where i'm at and it makes it so much easier to go to work every day and deal with you know bad bad crap because you can deal Absolutely. with bad crap and if you if you deal with bad crap and then you have bad politics it's just a recipe for burnout and disaster really yep. early on in your career which is what i experienced and right I, because go ahead Laura. Mm-hmm. no i was gonna say i i think just to add on to that like, I, I always say it to, it, so I train, and I tell my trainees, I'm like, listen, every agency is going to have bullshit. It's finding the agency oh, yeah. that you can deal with, because to me, like, I'm okay not making that much money. You know, I live comfortably. I don't have a successful lifestyle. That's bullshit that I'm okay with dealing with. I'm not okay with other things. And whereas someone might be mm-hmm. okay, like, hey, mandates, you can mandate me all you want. Do not mandate me. Please do not mandate me. I will not be happy, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think I, there's a couple of different things I want to talk about. The first one being, so when, when we're talking about money, right? I think that's such a terrible motivator for retention mm-hmm. because here's the thing you are put an asterisk next to that. You are working at a place and you're making money. You should, if you're a, if you're a responsible adult should be able to live within whatever you're making because you knew going to where you are, that's what you're going to be making. Now, mm-hmm. if you live a lifestyle that only works when you get copious amounts of overtime, you're doing it wrong. Now, <laughs> when you get when you get that raise, if you get that raise, now, we all need to make raises, we all need to live in cost of living everything. I agree with all that. But if you're looking at another agency just because of money, mm-hmm. you're doing it wrong because at that point, wherever you're going, like let's take for instance where I currently am now makes pretty, pretty decent money. But if I go over to Tampa, they make significantly more money. Yeah. And it's amazing, right? Until you go there and you realize they make more money because it's more expensive to live there. So <laughs> it really all evens out. So when someone is going around to different agencies following the money trail, like Laura was saying, that's a red flag on that person because they're obviously looking at the agencies for the wrong thing. Now, when people, when you see people leaving, going to... Like, like she was saying, equal or less paying agencies, that's where you have to look at the agency they're leaving going, why? What are you, what's scaring these people away? What do you got going on here? Mm-hmm. And when it comes down to the weak leadership, and this is what I really wanted to talk about, like we have enough stress and enough dangers coming at us from the streets. We don't need that coming from inside the same police department as well. And when I'm not safe on the street, when I'm not safe in the station house, well, then why, why am I even going to be there? And we start getting front stabbed, back stabbed, and I, I feel like, you know, that's something that everyone needs to run from. Mm-hmm. And it was, it's crazy. Like, so at my first agency, the kind of, and 
I'm not going to go into all of politics, but it was just so, it's such a toxic environment. Like I literally, when I, when I went there and I started my job as a cop, I weighed 120 pounds when I graduated the academy. When I left, just because of stress, I weighed 108 pounds. Like my hair was falling out. Like it was ridiculous. And just the amount of just this, this stress. And I just got to the point where I'm like, I just don't, if this is what this job is going to be like, I don't want it. Because you know what, I, I I accepted the fact that there's dangerous people in the street. I think we can all agree. Going through the academy, you can accept the fact. Like I'm prepared to deal with like Johnny Shitbag and the Savvy. That's great. The thing that I didn't, that really I wasn't prepared for in the academy is the interdepartment politics that I would experience. And I, I I guess in some way I'm thankful I experienced that in the beginning of my career. So I already I knew what to look for. Like when I ended up going to my my present agency, but it, it sucks. You know what I mean. Um, it's something I never, I never in a million years was prepared to deal with because, again, younger, like optimistic, like this is great, you know, I'm, I'm prepared to deal with shit bags, not like my coworker into the academy was stepping me in the back. I wonder. Well, there's a few, few things I was thinking. Like, no one's gonna tell you about that in the police academy, right? No one's gonna like say, get up there, police academy orientation, be like, hey, you know all this shit that you just dealt with in high school? Well, hold on, it's gonna be worse because now they have guns. My one of my RTOs from actually he he re actually retired from um, Phoenix PD because I went to Phoenix's academy. Um, he kind of like did a little subtle like little hint. And what he said, and this stuck with me, he's like, you can love your job, you can love your coworkers, but don't love your agency because your agency's not going to love you back. Mm -hmm. yep. And he didn't really get into all that. And, and he was he had like 25 years onto the job, and I'm sure at that point it was just like, I'm ready to be done with it. So he didn't really get into the whole interdepartmental um, politics stuff more. But I remember that thing, and it makes more sense now in hindsight, knowing what I know when I went through my first experiences. I also think something to consider, like, we love to make jokes about, like, people that make the job their entire lifestyle. But the reality of it is, is that you're going to spend more time at work or, like, work involvement than you're going to at home. And, the mm -hmm. you know, your job and your coworkers become your family and your leadership become your parents. And we obviously deal with broken homes yeah. in our job all the time if you have broken leadership it's like when the parents can't you know decide to hey do we oh, yeah. on mm. the cigarettes or do we spend it on feeding our kids they end up you know that's such a big thing yeah <laughs> and when, if, you, if you don't get along with your siblings you know you're not going to be able to have a productive home that that's something i experienced and you know mm -hmm. Tenet, you, you lived that through with me when you're not good at work you bring it home and it affects everything. Like there is no break, and I think that's the thing that comes with like these these agencies that um, mm -hmm. you know it's so toxic internally that it turns a really potentially good officer and a good person into yep. these stereotypes. You know, the cop that goes and cheats on their wife, the cop that goes and you know drops dead of suicide at. 27 they're so happy-go-lucky you know the person that drops dead of an aneurysm at 42 days after retirement like that's not normal that's mm -hmm. not what we're supposed mm -hmm. to be living through yet it becomes normalized because it's so common because there's so many issues at so many agencies right i feel like cops are more likely and this is this is not a statistic i'm, I'm gonna i now want to look it up but i feel like cops are more likely to die from all the exterior factors or I'm sorry, interior factors than the exterior factors. Like the yeah. stuff that goes on within the police department, all that stress, I think compounded over time, is almost more deadly on a grand scheme than the bad guys that we face in the streets. You know, mm -hmm. like 
when you were talking, when you were using the family analogy, and I loved it, uh, when you talk about like dad is buying a brand new car for himself, but meanwhile, I, you know, have to eat, you know, a cracker sandwich for lunch, you know, like I've seen it, you know, I'm driving this busted Impala, but you know, the chief's got a brand new car. Like what, what is going on? And that's just not good dynamics at all. Yeah. It causes a lot of internal resentment. I think that, and that's one of those things that like negativity breeds, it breeds people. Someone comes in and they see all the BS that's going on. They see like, Hey, like you said, why has dad got a new car and I've got the shitty Impala? You know, why is everyone else around me making $5 an hour more than me? But yet our, our union can't go to bat and try and get us decent gear. Why, you know, all these things that go on, and again, money's not an issue or shouldn't be like the number one issue, but there's so many issues that stem from it. And then you get this one person that starts, they become that cancer. They start bringing it up and then their zone partner, because, you know, that person doesn't want to go out and hit it hard. And then their zone partner's like, well, oh, yeah. if I'm not going to hit it hard, then I'm not going to hit it hard. And yeah. then it spreads through that shift and then that shift spreads to other precinct. And before you know it, all of mm-hmm. Alpha Delta, you know, I don't want to work Alpha Delta. Everyone over there is negative. And then before you know it, your entire agency is that person like, no one wants to work there. Mm-hmm. They're so crabby, like no one stays. And, and it, it starts from one small issue. Yeah. And it's it, splinters. The lack of accountability, like, hey, we, we effed up. We did this wrong. Let's fix it. And, you know, people will present solutions. And you can either say, hey, yeah, we effed up. Let's, let's fix it. Or you can be... You know, eyes closed, ears plugged, la, 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 la. I know what I'm doing. I'm the chief. Um, deal with it. Like, Kat, you said, um, McDonald's is always hiring. Like, if you have that mentality, nothing's going to oh, yeah. fit. And that negativity will just fester, fester, fester and get worse. Right. Or what about, like, the chiefs? Sorry, Kat, I'll give you in just a second. But what about, like, the chiefs that, yeah, they don't listen to the negativity because they silence it. You know, if, like, say we got someone who's, like, big with the union and they're telling the union this is a problem. Well, suddenly this person's not not with the union anymore. So, you know, we're going to put them on light duty. We're going to give them an administrative leave or something like that. Like, we're going to slowly start silencing our naysayers because now everybody, now it sounds like everybody's talking positive about me because the only ones that say something nice are the only ones that I'm giving a voice. And, and I ran into that in my first place. And the thing that I realized at a certain point, like, if you can't change the toxic environment, because, again, there's a lot of people that I really respected that, that had been there for a long time. They're like, yeah, it's always been like this. Um, the way that I kind of saw it is I needed to leave. I need to leave for me. And then there's so many people that I don't know why. It's like an abusive relationship. It's yes. like they'd rather stay yes. in a fucked up abusive relationship than actually have the cojones to, like, go somewhere else. Does it suck to have to start over? Yeah. Is it scary to have to start over? Because, I mean, think about it. You have to go through FTO again. You have to learn a totally, you know... New agency, new policies, new area, It's it, it sucks, It's especially if you've already had some time on. Like, thankfully, I didn't have that much time on when I had gone somewhere else. Um, but still, I mean, it, there, it's a lot. It's stressful. And sometimes it's just easier for people to stay in this, like, fucked up agency because that's the way we – this is the only thing I've known. This is the way that I've always known. Yes. The thing I, I also, thought – oh, go ahead. Oh, no, 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 you finish. I was going to say, the thing I thought was really interesting, too, is when I when I had left my agency that I didn't like and everyone could collectively agree was really screwed up, the thing I found was really interesting is there's a couple people um, I, I maintain contact with. There's some people that almost, like, took it personally. Like, they, they talked shit about me when I left. Mm-hmm. Like, it was, like, I'm sorry, like, did I personally offend you because I decided I wanted a better, like, you know, career path for me? 
Which I thought was super weird. Like, why we're not, why, you know, hey, you know what? You wanted to go somewhere else? Like, good for you. Like, I hope you go over there and freaking yeah. kill it. I feel like that yeah. never, it doesn't happen for some re- weird re- reason. I don't know why. I think it's a bit of jealousy, and I think it's a bit yeah. of, it's a lot of jealousy, but I think it's different jealousies. Like, one is like, oh, look, she's going there. It's like, shit, why, why am I not getting off the pot? You know, and she is, you know, that kind of thing. And I, I really loved what you said about the toxic relationship thing, because I've said that before, too. Like, mm-hmm. it gets to be so toxic. And then when you do get the raises or you get the nice equipment, like, it's really, it's just the abusive partner being like, hey, look, I got you something nice. One fan. <laughs> it is 100% like a DV relationship, yeah. straight up. It like, is. okay, well, maybe it's not that bad. Oh, they gave me, like, some sort of specialty. I've seen my friends... My first agency, oh, man, they gave me a specialty to kind of, like, uh, I'm good for now. And then, like, in five years, it's the same thing. Like, I'll, I know people, like, my first agency, they got into a specialty spot. It kind of shut them up for a little bit. Uh-huh. And then a couple years later, they reach out to me, like, hey, Kat, like, I hate it here still. Like, can you help me out? I'm like, bro, like, I tried to help you get out of there a couple years ago. You told me to pound sand because they gave you XYZ promotion or whatever. I'm sorry. At a certain point, you have to take the, you know, steps to try to better yourself and get away from there because it's not going to change it sucks because it's like this subtle thing to try to like entice you to say oh like hey this this dv relationship isn't so bad see because i bought you flowers or i took you out to dinner and then after Uh, a while it just you know it keeps going and then the the beatings will continue until morale improves the beatings will continue until morale improves exactly (laughs) yeah once you have that like weight lifted off your shoulders it's like you actually like love doing the job again i remember i got this book and i wish i could still think of the title it was about toxic work environments okay because again and when you're in these like fucked up working like departments they almost make you feel like you're the problem like oh my god like you're the problem no no one else is the problem Exactly. And and it's almost just kind of like a mindfuck because after a while, even if you're super intelligent and on your shit, it almost, you, you kind of are like, am I the problem? Like, oh my gosh, I'm being gaslit to feel like I am. So I got this book about toxic um, working environments and it, this was like my light bulb moment of like, holy shit, like this makes sense. And some of my close friends that were, they, and everyone that I was really close with has long been gone from the agency we're, you know, we could all empathize because we're like, no, after a while, especially when we got on the other side of this shitty agency, we realized like, holy shit, it wasn't us. Yeah. We were the ones we were doing our jobs and we were the ones we were trying to, you know, have a good attitude and we were stifled and being on the other side of it and having that perspective, I can tell you, you're going to love it. Like your life will be so much better. Because it was just like one day I just like, I, I was just like, I told my um, husband at the time, I was just like. If this is what this job is going to be like, I don't want to fucking do it anymore. Yep. And straight, I was like, I'm fucking done. I, I left law enforcement for three years because I'm like, I just, I, I, I can deal with people wanting to hurt me. I just can't deal with all this other stuff on the back end. Like the, mm-hmm. the crappy. Like I said, that's just, like you know, more deadly than the stuff mm-hmm. we deal with on the street. I, I agree. Mm-hmm. And that's where when I stepped aside last year. You know, I did. I went to the new agency, and that actually had nothing to do with the toxicity of my old place or the loss of my friend. Nothing. Like, all that was separate, right? That just kind of piled onto it. That made the leaving so much more sweeter. But at the same time, I didn't like being the new guy and then dealing with the hazing and all that shit again. I was like, you know what? I don't need it. And my agency is actually very good, and they're good to their people, but I didn't want to deal with the rookie shit again. I was like, no, this just isn't worth it. Uh, while it's you guys were talking, yeah, it is a lot. And on top of everything else that I was dealing with, I was like, no, I'm not, I'm not gonna, you know, 
run to the fence just because this guy didn't hit the target. Like I'm not I'm not playing these games anymore. So um, it's effective. Yeah. <laughs> you know what's so funny too is like I had left my I left my agency. I was at my present agency, and I happened to go back. Like I said, I worked for you know, I'll say a university police department. Um, I had run into some of the people that um were my supervisors that were when I was over there. Um, that at this football game and they were like, Oh my God, hi. I was like, I, it was like, I had a moment. So for so long, like, what did I want to say? And instead of being like a hellacious cunt, I really, I really did want to be a hellacious cunt because I I typically don't hold back. And I was just like, you know what? You know, I think, I think. Were you the bigger person? Um, a little bit. I was I did better than I thought I was going to do, but I just I almost felt I got to a point where I just I felt bad for these people. I mean I feel bad for you if your if your existence is just making other people miserable at this uh-huh. job because you're too scared to do it yourself. Really, yeah. truly. I've gone back to my old agency a few times since uh, my departure. Um, the last time was Jason's memorial. And I, I remember I didn't want to go. I didn't want to see anybody, whatever. And then I went. I saw Laura there. And I was, again, I had the same thing Kat was. I was like, do I do I be it? Obviously, this wasn't the place to do it. But seeing people that I haven't seen in over a year or almost a year now, I'm like, what do I say? Like, I was like, I felt like Will Ferrell in, what was it, Step Brothers or something? Like, if he comes over to me, I'll punch him in his face. Like, I, if yeah. the chief came up to me, I was not, I was not about it. But, you know, I just kind of, I was very appropriate for the situation but go ahead no i was gonna say i think that it's important to recognize too like you can get that little ego boost when you i love that hellacious con i love that you can you get a little bit of like a power trip yourself when you give them back what they've given to you for years on freaking years but do you really because at the end of the day you're just the person that's being a bitch to them they don't Mm -hmm. take it as Hey, like, what did I do wrong? Because they are so freaking convinced that they are right, that they are, oh, I'm, I'm the best, you know. I'm doing the right thing. That you will never get through to those people. Yep. Yep. And you just become that person that now, oh, so-and-so's a bitch. She, look at what she did. And then people spread rumors and they gossip yeah, because it's a yeah. toxic environment. It does nothing to benefit you except make you look bad at the people that they can get it, a voice off at. It's so funny on that note. Like, I realized, like, how screwed up things were one um um so one of my friends that was still there was like hey yeah so we watched your episode of live pd or like when you were on live pd in our briefing room and we were like microanalyzing it and then i had gotten an award my agency had given me an award for something which was a really cool thing and people were talking shit about it at my my former agency i'm like really like first of all you guys are so petty that i haven't been there for uh, i don't know how long you're still talking about me and i got i did something really great and that's so offensive to you. Like, mm-hmm. I yep. don't offer you. That's your life that you have to, you know, yeah. micro-dissect well, other people that have left on that level. Like, Right. It all goes back to the toxicity, right? It all talks about, you know, they're always going to try to bring you down no matter how good you're doing. Mm-hmm. It's They're going to find some way to shred your part. How exactly. dare you be happy? How dare yeah. you be happy? Exactly. And that's... That's what the abusive ex does, right? They're going to do anything to take away your new happiness. Now that you found something good to be happy about, they're going to pull that down. They're going to try to, you know, oh, I can't believe you're with him. You're going to spread rumors, whatever it might be. It's it's ridiculous. But I've I've seen it. I've lived it as as have you two. It's control. It's one of those things. It's control. And I, just to like touch back on a top, old point that we had earlier, I think a lot of times people don't leave because they feel like they can't because the agency yep. is making feel like they can. They feel like I can't do better. This agency 
you know, if I leave here, I will not be successful. But the reality of it is, is that most people, in my personal experience, the people that have left where I'm, you know, employed at currently, have gone on and been successful. It's this oh, yeah. thing you play with yourself that if I leave, I'll be nothing. Just like in that abusive relationship. If I leave, no one will ever love me. You know, no one will love mm-hmm. damaged goods. No. You know, it's going to be tough for a little bit, and you're going to have to do some inner work. You're not just going to have to, you, you know, you can't just sit there, look at memes, and drink beer and think everything's going to be okay. You got to do the inner I work. I resent that comment. I think you can. <laughs> hey, I'll look yeah. here. It's okay. It's part of therapy. It's part of, I bring my therapist, and she says, good job, you know? Oh, perfect. But <laughs> it's one of those things, though, that, like, you have to be willing to put that effort forward. And once yeah. you take that first step, like the door again the light bulb goes off and it's like i can be successful it's so liberating yeah it's it's freeing and then it's oh yeah you're out of their control and once you let once they're out of you know you're out of their claws they've lost because you no mm-hmm. longer care you don't care anymore and it, again i'll take that pay cut to be happy i will mm-hmm. uh you know have the crappy car to be happy i will yeah, i remember 10 ae posted something a long time ago on your story i think and it was um, which is more important, a high-paying job with low morale, or would you rather have the the small agency, or sorry, it's the big big agency with lots of opportunity but low morale, or the small agency with no opportunity but really good morale? And I was like, obviously, you don't want the one that has both of them. You, everyone wants the agency that has the other two, both of them, but they don't really exist. So I thought about that a lot. I'm like, I would rather be happy. I would rather be mm-hmm. happy, you know? Oh, yeah. Yep, and, well, especially, like, the stuff that you deal with i mean well on patrol and then especially now in the current position that i'm in it's it the the things that we're seeing every day can be so soul sucking in and of themselves you cannot be just perpetually surrounded by like my work life like i'm seeing things that are really fucked up my work life is really fucked up i I go home and my home life is really fucked up you i found like i have to you know i can deal with seeing fucked up stuff or dealing with cases that are really screwed up. I can deal with, I have accepted that, but I cannot deal with all of those things. And when, I think when people get to a limit and, or a point in this career where they hit that limit where it's just pervasive throughout everything, that's when people are just, they start doing silly stuff, cheating on their spouse, drinking, you know, you know, covering themselves, you know, everything. Um, so yeah. Yeah. So I, I think this is great. I, I'm going to have to cherry pick this conversation and find the parts that we didn't name drop our agencies because I feel like there's some really good tidbits of information. There are a lot of nuggets of good. Um, mm-hmm. So beyond that, right? So now now that we're in like the, the later part of the, the interview, I can talk about the stuff that like people wanted to hear. So the Come being boy. females in, in a male-dominated industry, right? That's... That's, I mean, Kat, you were talking about, you know, your stature, you know, you were smaller and whatever. Mm-hmm. Ha- is that a um, a drawback for you? Has it been? I mean, obviously, I mean, I know both of you personally. Well, I don't know Kat, but I know Kat. Uh, so I know you both <laughs> kick ass, right? But in the beginning and up to now, like, were things like that, you know, being smaller in size, maybe not as strong as male counterparts, was that something that kind of detracted from you and did that motivate you to keep going like how how did that play in your mind we'll start with Kat I will say initially in in my job I I remember being out there and struggling with somebody being super tiny and I was like a light I had again another light bulb moment like I had focus and I was in shape don't get me wrong it wasn't like I was just a stick and I had but I was in a different kind of shape so that was something that motivated me 
to want to get better, more muscular, to be more successful in this job. But I think the biggest thing for me is I would, it, I, I don't think necessarily size is a prohibiting factor. I think it's attitude. So I've taught other trainees. I just taught a gal um, last summer who was super tiny as well. As long as you have that attitude of like, listen, motherfucker, it's like putting a cat in a bathtub. Cats are tiny, but they'll fuck you up. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's, that's the attitude. So you, you might not have a, the physical stature or presence. I um, mean, and that can always be something we can always work on our strength or our ability, but um, I can't change the fact that I'm only five foot five. It's not, you know, all, I can't, I can't do anything about it. But if you have that attitude and the correct mindset of like, listen, I'm not very big, but I'm going to, I'm going to fuck you up if I have to. I think that's the biggest thing is just that mindset of having that mindset. And it took me a while in this job to really grow into that mindset. And I think a lot of it has to do with just experiences I had, especially really when I got back into the job after having a break, I really had to think of, do I want to do this again? So my mindset, when I first got into the job, having a break from the job and then going back into a second agency, my mindset has had shifted considerably, if that made sense. Mm -hmm. So I think I answered your question, but just in a very, very... No, it was perfect. As always, always perfect. Laura, what about you? So I, I don't think I ever struggled with that because I'm not a small female. I've never been small, um, broad shoulders, big legs, you know, I'm tall, I'm 5'9", I'm 170 pounds, you know, I'm a larger female and I've always been fit. So like strength hasn't been an issue with me. Um, you know, I'll never be, you know, my 220 pound male partner that's juicing up in the gym. But it's mm-hmm. never been something where I think people look at me and say, like, oh, she's fragile. She's dainty, mm-hmm. you know. So I I think on the other hand, though, I struggle with other things where people look at me and they, they don't take me seriously. Because I started this. Mm-hmm. I started my first agency when I was 21. Um, and, again, I always joke like Barbie cop. I come mm-hmm. in with uh, looking feminine. I'm like, my hair is all done. I always wear, you know, I got my hair, t- hair done up and gelled back. And I would wear light makeup not like clown face but I, you mm-hmm. know I wear makeup when I first started out have my nails painted and you know <clears throat> I think when I first started people I remember someone saying to me like oh you won't be here for more than a year and I was like why and they're like this is not the line of work for you and I'm mm-hmm. the, the fact that my nails are painted doesn't make it that I, I can't make an arrest it means that I care mm-hmm. about my presence and like my upkeep because when I go home I'm not a cop you know I can compartmentalize mm-hmm. this job from my personal life and I think it people would look at me a lot in the beginning and be like oh I, I don't take her seriously and I don't respect her and then you get that from mm-hmm. I'm sorry but men and women that it's easy to pick it's we're an easy target sometimes I think women can be an easy target where it's easy to just pick on us because oh well they're smaller and uh they they're dainty and she only got there because of her looks, you know. I think it's easy to say that instead of maybe look introspectively, like, why did she get it? Did she get it because of her looks or did she get it because she was the most qualified person? Right, and more like, why didn't you get it? Yeah, yeah. It, it's not always the obvious answer that people love to make jokes about. And I think, I remember, like, getting motors. When I got motors at my agency, feeling so pressured to justify how hard I worked for it. And I would go to places and people say like, oh, the female motor cop. And I'm like, I'm a motor officer. I'm on the bike. You don't need to put Mm -hmm. female for it. Like, I'm the same as you. I don't have a different certification because of my DNA, you know. Mm -hmm. 
Um, I will say that being a boner cop girl, you are like a 100% million badass. You don't have to say anything else because like, I think in the state of Arizona, there's something less than like a dozen um, female motors. And like, I've seen tons of guys watch out of motor school. It's like one of the most challenging, I think, yeah. training that you can do. So Thank freaking you. not to, cause that shit is badass. Thank you. And I, I, it was something I was so passionate about, and I feel mm-hmm. like that kind of detracted from it because I always felt like I had to be like, I got this because I work for it. Like, the school's really hard, and you could fail out, and I remember, like, sitting down and telling people, I'm like, and so many people wash out, and, like, if you drop the bike, you yeah. stuff, like, blah, 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 and, like, I shouldn't have to justify myself because of that, and yeah. I feel like there's a lot of, of times that women have to, and it's a shame because there are women who, you know, give us a bad rap, and there's men yeah. who just will not ever accept the fact that Maybe it's you. Maybe you didn't get the job because you were not qualified. Maybe mm-hmm. you got it or maybe you didn't get it because she was better and she right. interviewed better and she's more qualified and she's a better fit for that position. Like maybe it's you. Or maybe it has something to do with that shitty attitude you're bringing exactly. to the table. You know? Exactly. And, and I think, you know, motors obviously is a big one. You know, in my, in my short time, didn't see many female motors at all. Um, mm-hmm. SWAT team is another one. You know, you don't see you know, the tactical side and, and when, but when they do, when a female does break through, they do make the SWAT team again, you know, how'd she get here? It obviously has nothing to do with her fitness, her abilities, her Mm -hmm. ability to shoot, things like that. And I, I agree. And the reason why this, this episode was a little, funny tongue-in-cheek coming from me is because I, I make some of the some of the anti-female cop memes but I, I always specify that is not I'm not going against the female gender there's a very specific section that I'm going after every time I make a meme about this and I, and I think I, I we're on the same page when we're tracking like that because I, I for me personally like I I want to be the champion for all women to like I, I want to see other women kill it I want to see everyone kick ass but at the same time the thing that really pisses me off is I've worked my ass off to do really well and to succeed and to, you know, go from 110 pounds and being, you know, essentially useless to being like, okay, I got muscle. I can, you know, I'm strong. I've worked on my proficiencies. And I I get frustrated when I see other women that are just out there just doing the, the, and I'm going to say like in the stereotypical Instagram influencer cop thing that we know that I like, there's a couple of them locally that I'm like, I know that you don't, you know, that you don't work, you're not out there working. And I, if you want to own, like, hey, I just do, I'm just social, because not everyone can be a meat eater. I'm totally tracking. Like, not everyone can be a meat eater. Really, Zoe, sorry, my cat just jumped across the screen. Um, <laughs> but so we can we can all agree, like, not everyone can be out there hitting it hard, but at the same time, own that. Don't pretend like you're something that you're not. You know, yeah. that's the thing that I don't like, fakeness. So I hate when people, like when women and men are guilty of this too, because I know a couple of male influencer cops that do oh. this too. Like the one they in New Jersey to... that just got robbed because he couldn't actually fight because he has popcorn muscles. It's like... Bro, I know, bro, I know who you're talking about, and I'm just like, okay. Like, I, I have questions for that. There's a lot of questions, yeah. <laughs> I can't find his page. Apparently he blocked me, and I've never even talked to the man. I've seen, I've heard a lot of people, because... Somebody that, um, there's a, there's a TikTok cop page that posted, posted him a lot. And I think they blocked him as well. Cause he posts some stuff. I was like, mm. uh, yeah, I'm side eyeing you a little bit, dude. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Something like that. Like, I just don't, I don't respect that. It's not necessarily a gender thing. It's no. just a, you're just a lazy piece of shit thing. It's also undermining, I think like, and again, not a gender thing to when there is the person that works so, so, so hard for something and then puts their heart and soul to it and it's like hey i'm proud of this i'm proud of what i do and i'm proud of the quality of my work like when i just Mm -hmm. 
for an analogy, like when I push a report across the desk, like that's my work. That's my best work. Yeah. That's yeah. my best work versus the person that has a template that just fills X, Y, Z out and it's half-assed. You know, it kind mm-hmm. of feels like that when we get, you know, these influencer cops where it's like, they're getting all the attention, guts, and glory and uh, the poster child of their agency and it's like, come do this. You could be like that. And it's like, okay, but most of the time you're not going to be making TikToks. Most of the time you're not going to be, you know, recording yourself whipping your hair around with a smoke machine in front of the cruiser, which I know we all know that video. Like, that's not what it is. And if you broadcast that to people and you you put especially women on the forefront, then it becomes, oh, this is what women think law enforcement is. And Mm -hmm. you become the pariah for all these negative images because one person had to ruin it for us, just like all these memes we like to make. One person had to screw up. Mm With their, mm-hmm. you know, doing the doing the deed with their supervisor, and now all of us are the person that does yes. the supervisor. Yes. Yep. You know? yep. 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 And and you guys yep. both said it, like you know, all the hard work that that women like you do for the job, you know. And then I chose you two, Officer. Nobody couldn't be in here, and there were several others that I wanted to reach out to. Obviously, this this is a limited platform, but you know, you guys do the work. You guys are poster children for good cops you know and i want it you know in in the in the realm of like role models people to listen to you and be like hell yeah that she's the one that i want to listen to and not even be a gender thing like i want a guy mm-hmm. cop to listen to this and be like why can't mm-hmm. i be like cat why can't i be like laura and um and i think that's very important it, it takes a lot of self-awareness for for people to go they're doing great things irregardless of their gender you know what i mean like that has nothing yeah. to do with it or their height or whatever I've had a couple. I've had a couple guys reach out. I think after the podcast that we did together, um, and I thought that was like a really cool thing. And it, it just kind of planted a seed in their head, specifically talking about the training portion, where they're like, "Oh my gosh, you said some things that resonated with me um, about like, hey, I need to take my training more seriously." And I, I really appreciate that. And like, I, I hear things from cops from other parts of the country, and I'm just like, wow. Like, I, it, I think that's just a cool thing, just to have that uh, ability to affect. You know, it's things I wish I would have known at the inception of my career is the things that I like to talk so passionately about because I think they're so important. And so to be able to have a platform to get that across to other people, I think it's just, it's so cool. It's very important. Absolutely. I think just in law enforcement in general, we need role models. You know, you, you just need good cops. And, and when you guys were talking about the generalization of like, you know, one female cop or one male cop that on TikTok ruins it for everybody. That's literally what we were bitching about for the whole George Floyd case, right? One cop screwed up, and then we all, you know, we were all bad. It's the exact same way. And again, go back to the toxicity we were talking about in the beginning of the conversation. We're doing it to ourselves. We're doing it in our own departments. Yep. Yeah, that was what I wanted to comment on, actually. I think that the biggest thing is that there's a lack of accountability and, like, a lack of introspection that people like to point out the differences. I was actually going to point out the George Floyd thing where it's like, hey, that person doesn't look like me. That person doesn't have the same skin color as me. Like, you only pulled me over because XYZ, or she only got the job because of XYZ. He only got it because of XYZ, you know? People like to look at the differences instead of being like, hey, you know, this person has all these skills, and I don't have a couple of those skills. What can I learn from them instead of being like, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's one of those things, like, take what you can. Take what you can from every single experience you have, but people love yes. to stay clammed up in their own shells and be like, you guys are different and I don't understand it. And it's bad. It's bad because I don't know it, you know? 
I was going to say, I've had a lot of really good conversations with some of my friends from back home, back in Detroit, about, you know, that aren't in law enforcement. Like, they're like, hey, I had this circumstance about my interaction with the police I thought was sketchy. And I'm like, okay, well, tell me tell me what it was about this interaction that you had. And they'll ask me questions like, Kat, like, I, I'm distrustful of police for X, Y, Z reasons. Like, okay, like, I like having constructive conversations with people that might not necessarily believe in the same things that I am and aren't necessarily like anti-law enforcement, but are receptive to having a conversation that goes both ways. Like you're going to tell me something and I'm going to tell you something. Um, and I like those, in, those really engaging type of conversations because I've been able to find it's, it's, it's interesting to me. And I find that there's middle ground in there somewhere, especially when you're talking about people that have a different whatever fill in the blank background than you to have those conversations it's a great thing right and that was another thing that i kind of thought coming into this conversation like how many of i mean maybe maybe it's a little bit better but how many of your male colleagues literally go up to you and be like hey how was this you know how did you overcome this possible barrier or whatever so that's what i was hoping that people could listen and be like oh i never thought of it from that perspective so um i it's, kind of ties in it was, I was going to say, it's really cool. One of the guys I used to work with, um, he had, I, th I don't know if we mentioned it on the last podcast or not, he had um, he had seen one of the recruitment videos before he came over and the county had um, put me in this thing, just, you know, showing me on a call at night shift, doing, doing my thing when I was still on patrol. And he's like, you know, my daughter looked at that and like I told, um, he's like, my daughter told me, hey, do you get to work with that badass girl? And he's like, yeah, she's on my squad. And I was like, like I got a little bit in my feels. Like that's such a, it's a, it's such a cool thing. Like yes. you see that just like, cause I see, and I similarly, I see other chicks on like Instagram that are um, like operators or motors or doing all these cool things. And I'm like, um, I, that's so cool. Like you guys are such badasses. Like I want to be like you. Cause but when you said the motor thing, I didn't know that you were motor. Like that's so freaking rad, dude. Like I'm like, oh. Well, thank you. I feel about you. She she is rad. She is rad. Just don't don't get her on a golf course. Then it's then it's not. Oh my god, dude, we're gonna lose so many balls. Oh my yeah, god. yeah, um, yeah. Her first game of golf was with me, and that, you know, I think we shot around the same. Though. I damaged the car. Yeah, it was bad. It's good because like I play golf. I don't have the patience for golf. Like I'm that person that gets so angry that they're throwing golf clubs. Like I just have. Zero Literally, yeah. The last time I played, I was I was very stressed. I was like, all right, let me go play. I'm gonna go play around by myself. I'll relax, whatever. By the third hole, I'm throwing clubs, calling myself all kinds of names. I was, mm -hmm. I was like, why do people do this? And and I'm itching to get back to it. So go figure. Um, yes. All right, so. I couldn't find the questions I got from the most recent attempt. I think we've tried to do this recording like three times already. So I went yeah, all the way yeah. back to the first time and I got the questions. So we're going to go through okay. a lot of them. I was just looking cool. through. We've kind of covered a lot of them, but we'll go through these um, really quick. First one is pros and cons of being a small town cop. Can any of you answer that one? Well, I, I would say, oh, okay. I was going to say, yeah, I'm like a medium, medium county cop. So okay. yeah, you could, you probably answer that one better than I can. So I, I currently work for a pretty small department. Um, and I think it's good to end on a positive note. So I would say the, the cons just straight up, it's small and you have to be very honest with yourself. What do you want to do? Because when you first get started, you're going to, there's this thing called a Donnie Kruger effect. And I always love to talk about it. Basically. Oh, I, Yes. You know yes. about yes. it? Yes, yes, okay. yes. So like you first get out there and you have all this confidence because you don't know mm -hmm. anything. You don't know what you don't know. Yep. And when you realize that you know nothing, 
your confidence plummets and then you slowly build back over time as you get more experience you get more confidence so i think when you first clear fto you know everyone's gonna feel the same way but you have this like real like excitement in you you know you're either like if you are supposed to be a cop you're gonna have this fire burning in you like i want to do this i want to be a cop and you're gonna get excited about the tag light that's out and the seatbelt that the person's not wearing mm-hmm. and you're so stoked about the, you know back when we cared about weed you're so stoked about the two grams of leafy green stuff mm-hmm. yeah. in the pocket and oh my gosh you know we pulled over a car and we got 0.2 grams of meth dude so cool and then you do that for five years and you're saying hey like i want more i want more mm-hmm. you know sometimes at small agencies there is no more there are people mm-hmm. small agencies that will never ever ever work a homicide there are people that will never discharge their firearm in a in, a, in an officer situation you know, they'll go through their whole career not experiencing certain call types that other big agencies there, there's some that won't even like pull their weapon out yeah aside, that's crazy you know, I mean, I feel like nowadays that's way less common to never pull your firearm, but I mean. But it's one of those things that, like, if you go to a small agency, you have to be accepting of the fact that, like, that excitement, the honeymoon phase of law enforcement will wear off, and Mm -hmm. you're stuck doing small town tasks for the duration of your retirement. Right. I hope you like Karens. Like, I hope you like civil complaints, you know? Right, because that's all it is. I mean, that's basically where I'm at. I mean, the calls that come through... Um, the other thing though, that I think is really important, kind of this, I guess this goes with the small town thing, but it goes with the big cities too, is like, understand, I really want to like bold italics underline, understand that it's a marathon night, not a sprint. Mm -hmm. Don't let that honeymoon phase burn you out because that's what happened to me. I loved it, loved it, loved it, loved it, loved it, hit the brick wall and I I couldn't recover from it. It was too much. So keep that in mind and I'm, i think the honeymoon phase in the small town cops like you were saying is so easier to get through the, you know get there because you got to do something with all that energy i don't know what to do with my hand so i'm gonna go ahead and stop everybody you know so just keep that in mind i think if you're you know a small town cop or if you want to go to a small agency it, it's you're gonna you're gonna burn out that fuse really quick so you better figure out what you want to do after that yeah and then i think i think a pro of a small town agency is that People don't think about this. You have a lot more connection to the people that are literally in charge of your job. Like mm-hmm. at a small town agency, the city manager probably knows your name. You know, the city council probably knows the ins and outs of your department. Um, you get the ability to have a very, I love using this word, but it's going to come across wrong, like a very intimate relationship with a lot of people in your city. You get to know the business owners, you know, like for me right now, I know business owners on a first name basis where if I saw them off duty and like, I'd be like, oh, hey, you know, hey, George, what's up? Um, mm-hmm. And it's one of those things that I, I it's funny because I had a, I have a partner currently who came from a large agency and now works for us and was like, oh, back in my agency, they didn't ever give us free they never um you know dropped us off snacks at the pd and they never made us christmas gifts and then at this little agency you know the business owners really care about us the citizens really do care about you at least where i'm at you know and it's there's something to be said about being a part of that small intimate family dynamic of an agency where like i know Every single person I work with, I know all of them by first and last name. I know their kids' names. To me, it's not, uh, you know, the person, my my zone partner. It's so-and-so by their first name. And 
I almost care more because, you know, think about it, when we go to call out or something like that, like I'm not screwing over my zone partner. I'm screwing over my zone partner by their first name. And mm-hmm. I don't want to take him out of my, his kid's dance recital because I know that she, you know, he's been looking forward to that all week. So I know these people on such a close basis that I would never get at a large department. So, you know, right. when you go to one of those big agencies, you're definitely more of a number than a, than a yeah. person. Yeah, and so. that is not the case in a small department. Everyone will know you, and that's that could be a good thing or that could be a bad thing. You know, right. everybody you, is going to know you, though. Right, that's definitely something <laughs> that you need to keep track of. Oh, perfect timing! Look at Sorry. that. That was. Sorry, my man came. I was just giving him a kiss. That's all. Sorry. Oh, Sorry. perfectly fine. Perfectly fine. All right. Uh, next question. It says no question, but I need a female officer for a search. Who can assist? I am more than happy to help. So when I was on the road, I'm, I'm always happy to help the guys um, because my squad wouldn't abuse me. Because, I, again, like, I, I work in a medium-sized county, but the area that we would cover is so large. I'm happy to help because typically when they're calling with me specifically, I know it's something that's either going to be a pretty good case or something kind of, you know, I just want to be safe. But for the most part, I guys, you can... Do searches of women yourself. I can't stress this enough. I'm happy to help, but I know some agencies literally abuse this. And, you know, I'm not going to spend an entire 12-hour shift just doing female searches for somebody. Like, mm-hmm. I'm actually going to need to work at some point in time. Um, yeah. So, I've definitely witnessed it. I've I've teased enough female officers about it. Like, you know, are you just, are you, you know, just searching all day? Is that what's happening? And but like my old agency, it was in policy. Like no, men do not search really? females. Yeah, really. Like, <laughs> so like they would if there was no female working. If there happened to be no female working, all right. Does the county have someone? Does the neighboring agency have one? Yeah, it was ridiculous. Like okay, so what if like they all say no? Are we just gonna let this female go? Because no, you know, it's just. It's, that's exactly it. Because at some point in time, I mean, you have to really work with first and foremost officer safety. Because I've seen, and thankfully it wasn't my agency; it's other agencies be a little bit less safe. Because oh, oh my gosh, we have to like oh, this is a female, we can't. I would much rather err on the side of okay, if you're gonna search a female and there's only guys, be smart about it. Have like two people there, do it in front of a body camera, dash camera, whatever it is. And be safe because the offside is if you don't want to offend anybody, like we don't want to offend anyone and have a male search a female, God forbid, and then she's coming and smuggling in drugs of weapon. Weapon. Yeah. You know what I mean? We cannot right. At the end of the day, your jail staff is doesn't give a shit if you're a guy searching a female. Like they don't want or you shouldn't want in your car some contraband Absolutely. that could have easily been discovered. Well, a person, that wants to kill you, a person that wants to kill you is going to kill you either way. So I, I recently watched a video where the female's like, oh, take me back to my house so I can feed my dogs. And she goes in the house and ends up shooting all the officers. Like, she's not less dangerous because she's a girl. But I think, like, people are like, oh, it's hands off. We don't want to search her. Like, she can have a gun just like a guy can have a gun. And that sure. gun, That's ex- you know? Yep. And I'm so going I, I, it, that's exactly it. And again, the guy, I was so lucky that where I worked, like the guys wouldn't really abuse me for that because again, one, well for logistically, like my like travel time, I could be anywhere like in up to an hour away. So yeah. it's just not realistic for me. Like you're going to be standing there with your, you know, um, de- detained or prisoner or whatever for an hour waiting for me. Um, I have another, I, I'm not, I'm always happy to help, but the guys wouldn't abuse it. I wasn't doing that for 12 hours plus. <laughs> right. Next one, um, this comes from a female officer out in Hawaii. 
Uh, what do you think of officers being flirtatious and or sleeping with married officers? Don't do it. Don't fuck your coworkers. That's, that's anywhere though. That's like, that's like rule number one, just being an adult. Don't shit where you eat, you know? Yeah, easily. Yes. I say um, that and I'm, I'm dating a, someone I work with. I know. I need to <laughs> hey, hey. But we don't work. We don't. We don't work exclusively together. We work in totally separate divisions. So I mean, and we're and he's not married. No. So yeah. Yeah, I think at the end of the day too, it's just being respectful because, like, if I'm dating someone that I'm working with, like a beat with, and there's two other people, like, is that's not fair to those two other people? You know, that's yes. not fair to them. That yes. let's be real, if, if shit hits the fan. I'm yes. probably more concerned about my significant other than a person that I don't know by first and last name. So I think it's also mm-hmm. for the agency. Like, I'm not saying there should be, like, no nepotism clause, but if people are going to date, okay, that's fine because, you, you know, you can't stop love, but <laughs> separate them, put them on two different precincts, put them at two different districts, put them on opposite ends of the city so that they're not continually running into each other because that can cause issues. And that realistically, that's not fair, but, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. All right, next one. We kind of touched on this, but ever this is the this is this is why we wanted Officer Nobody to be on this uh, podcast. But addressing culture that hurts female law enforcement, i.e., the Officer Autumns, the female LEO only classes, like does that hurt or does that help law enforcement? So I will say this: um, I, I I don't I'm not a huge Officer Autumn fan, but I've seen it done in a way like um, I'm a huge I love Heather. Yes. Love, love, love. I she is like the embodiment of like a badass female like that's had experience, that's done the job and done the damn thing. I think it's really just in the way that you handle it and you portray yourself. Because you know, giving advice like, you know, don't have stinky you know, have breath mints and whatever other silly other things I've seen Officer Autumn. I mean, I'm sure she's a very nice person, but I mean that's not really helpful for women in this career. Um, but and on the flip side of that, um, I love Heather. She's amazing. She's got so much experience to talk about it. Her and I have had conversations one on one. She's awesome. So it, it can be done. It just has to be. So done. I'm I'm in, I'm 100% in support of what you said, and um, I've I've talked to Heather as well. What makes the difference? What makes one of those courses great and the other one useless? I think the well one in my perspective, and this is just me speaking. This is just cat speaking. If you're charging somebody like $150 a month, like here's how you can be a really good cop. That's kind of silly. Like, and I feel like you're just taking advantage of people like monetarily. Whereas Heather, she did all, and yet, yes, does she do trainings for street cop training, which I think are like paid trainings, yes, but she gives so much great, awesome advice and wisdom on her page for free. Um, on, top of the, on top of that, she's actually giving things that are very useful in my opinion. Mm-hmm. And that's just useful to women, useful to everybody. Yeah. And I, I wanted to comment on that too, is that, so, don't move my camera again. So, I actually was voluntold to go to one of those classes, one of the women's classes, last year at this time. And I remember when I saw it on my schedule, I was so freaking pissed about it. I was like, there's no, I'm not going to this class. Like, it's almost insulting that you want to put me you know, It was called The Winning Mind for Women. And I remember being so bitter that my agency put me in a women's law enforcement class. So I'm like, I'm one of the guys, you know, like, <laughs> I don't need a women's class. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> is that the DT like, one? No, 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 oh. no. 
this is this is a unique perspective. So I went in with such a negative attitude, and this mm-hmm. class is one of the best classes I ever took because it wasn't like here's how to be a successful woman cop, you know. Because mm-hmm. I think it could be really derogatory and sexist in of, of its own. This class yes. was really like, hey, you're a woman. Uh, here's here's some good ways to communicate with your shift as a woman because women and men's brains work differently. Like men are, mm-hmm. it was like men like to be. Uh, praise for the outcome of the situation where women like to be recognized by effort uh, for the effort of the situation, like it's backed up by mm-hmm. all these studies. So if you're a woman supervisor, you know, you're probably better off just telling the guy like, Hey, you got the results done versus the girl. Like, Hey, I noticed that you put a lot of time and effort into this project mm-hmm. with your job. And it broke down a lot of like psychology as like being a female supervisor. It was a, it was a supervisor's preparation course basically. And it wasn't meant to be one of those classes. Like, if you're a man, you're not going to get anything out of it. I've said, like, men should go to this class because you can still gain something from it. I think that's what you're getting at, Tim, uh, is that, like, these classes, there's certain these women that project it towards women, and it literally is, like you said, like, reference. Like, what does that have to do yeah. with it doesn't have anything to do with the job. It, yeah. it has nothing to do with the job, and it's not applicable to both sides really like maybe Breathman's mm-hmm. are but it's one of those things that like can everyone that's listening to this gain something from it that's mm-hmm. what to me, it makes it a valuable like mm-hmm. a valuable tool which is what we should always be striving better we should always be striving to absorb all the knowledge go to all the training um and then when you go to that training and it turns out to be a crock of, crock of crap okay it's probably because it's one person's personal opinion about you know, something that has nothing to do with the job. Right. Absolutely. Yeah, I agree. And I think that you just hit the nail right on the head way more succinctly than I did. It's like, <laughs> yes, yeah, so we're teaching training. And that's what I think Heather does a great job of and all, all the street cop training people. But yeah. um, I like it because what she's saying, she's had a lot of things that she's posted that are, you know, questions or things that are pertaining to women, but they're also applicable to everybody. Or mm-hmm. um, And I like that. And yeah, I'm a huge fan of her. Love, 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 love. Right. And my whole thing with the whole female law enforcement classes, right? The ones geared to it, right? We don't have male law enforcement classes, right? Like, we don't have interdiction mastermind for men, you know? Like, mm-hmm. it's, it, and that's where I'm like, it should just all be uniform. Like, I feel like we should all, but the way Laura just described that one class, I was like, oh, okay, I can kind of see that. But again, a guy could sit on, in on that class and, get a lot from that also so again i think the branding just needs to be changed you don't have to say that this is the winning mindset for women no this is the winning mindset for law enforcement you know and just one to totally disregard the fact that there are different differences by between men and women is is silly we're we're different and again and i've said this before am i going to be i'm never going to be the six foot two like 250 pound knuckle dragon dude i'm just not that so within within me neither yeah, the things that I cannot change, I might have to work something a little bit differently. It doesn't necessarily mean it's, it's wrong. But I think, yes, recognizing that there are differences between men and women isn't necessarily a bad thing. Right. I think, yes, if, 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 it's, if things are singled out so much like what you're saying, things that are irrelevant or not applicable to the job, that's the stuff that like I, I straight up get offended by. I'm like, I'm the same way like with you. Really, a woman's only training, seriously. Yeah. Um, I try to now look at it and have an open mind when I go to some of that training to just to see, okay, maybe maybe this is the way they 
presented the information wasn't my cup of tea? Is there something I learned from it that maybe I didn't like what they did, so I'm going to do this? Sure. That's the way I try to frame things now. Sometimes I feel like it's, it's still a valuable experience if you learned yes. something that you don't want to do. We go Correct. in, and I think we as like, we as people can sometimes go in with such a negative aspect that we close our minds off to the fact that like, there's something to be learned from, even if it's, hey, I'm not going to do this. I'm not mm-hmm. going to talk to people this way. You know, it's still valuable. Right. It's and and also a, a, another way is like, if, you're, if your agency paid for it, and you're getting paid to be at the class, like you're really not losing anything, <laughs> right? right? Yeah, true. So, true. I mean, there's there's so many different ways to look at all that. So I agree. Mm-hmm. Uh, this next one comes from an officer in Arizona. He says, how can male officers support female officers better? That is a, actually a really great question. question. So first of all, what up, Arizona? Um, <laughs> I think that it's it's being a woman, and especially like for me in an agency that has so few women, it's... You're in an interesting role because a lot of the guys I worked with just treated me like one of the dudes, which I love. I prefer that. Or like a little sister. Um, so sometimes, especially like when I was going through a divorce, it's like a, it's a weird, it's a weird thing. Cause like I found myself kind of like, I'd have days where I'd just be so upset. I'm going through this divorce in amicable divorce, but I'm really upset, but I would stifle all that stuff because I don't want to be emotional at work. So I think for guys just asking like, Hey, I, I know that you're going through some shit. Hey, hey, dude, you good? It doesn't have to be really an in-depth conversation. Um, and again, similarly, uh, when I deal with male coworkers that are also going through different th- things, a divorce, death, whatever, I ask the same question. Um, but, you know, having, being, I guess, being aware of what things are going on in your coworker's life and just asking, it's just a simple question. Hey, are you good? Do you need anything? Like, I know you saw some really fucked up shit. That's what I do. So I see, you know, I know guys that have gone through and been on really hellacious calls on, on a sidebar conversation. Hey dude, are you good? Like, you want to talk about it? Like how's things at home? Blah, blah, blah. It doesn't really have to be, you don't have to, it doesn't have to be that complicated, I guess. Yeah. I would say for me, um, having the having some integrity to form your own opinions on people because I think a lot of times, especially mm-hmm. like we talked about having that one person that's really negative. Um, I've seen it with other people at me. I've seen it with other people at other agencies actually, where there can be a female who who's a rock star and she doesn't get along with a supervisor or a coworker or something like that, and that mm-hmm. person, it's it spreads like wildfire where. Now, people don't like this person or they don't give them a chance or they get a bad name for themselves because they made a bad impression with one person. And I think it, it goes for everybody, but especially women, like, form your own opinion about people. Get to know people mm-hmm. instead of being like, oh, like, again, going back to that, like, oh, they only got here because of this. Like, mm-hmm. yeah. get to know this person. Have you worked with this person? Do you know that this person's not a great officer? Do you know yes. the quality of their work? Do you know this person at all? Have you ever met them? You cannot have an opinion on a person that you don't know personally. Uh, th- right. I, I know it's like an oxymoron, like, duh, but people yeah, but. You're right. And on the flip side, though, I had someone once that I thought was a really great person. You know, I didn't work for them, but I was like, oh, they, they got to be pretty decent. And then I work with them I'm like, wow, you are a bag of ass. Like, you are terrible. <laughs> so <laughs> it does. And I just want to point out that, you know, the question was, uh, how can we support female officers better? And your answers were literally the same answers that I would expect across the board, regardless of gender. And that's the point for everyone listening. That's the point. Mm-hmm. Um Next question, kind of on the heels of that last question, 
Uh, do you appreciate a little chivalry from your male counterpart ca- counterparts, or do you prefer to be treated like one of the guys? Treat me like one of the guys. I straight up get, I don't want to say, offended's not the right word, but if you're like, oh no, let me do this for you. Bitch, I can do it myself. Yeah. If, I, if, if, if I want help, I will ask you for help. I mean, obviously, if you see me struggling or something, don't be a, don't be a D-bag, help me out. But, you know, I don't, if we're in the job, we all, you know, we went through standards to go get there. We're doing the same freaking job. It doesn't say like, oh, I get to do less of a job because I'm a chick. Yeah. You know what I mean? I just like the chivalry in the job. And I think there's no place for it because if you want to apply that to something, a concept like defensive tactics, and I've seen this a lot. Um, and, you know, our instructors have always said, like, don't be easier on your female. Don't, you know, obviously don't hurt them, but don't be easier on them because it's going to be an, it's a negative for them in the training sense. You know, they're going to experience this on the street. Why are we going to set them up? Because we want to be nice to them because they're women. No, you guys got to treat us the same. Right, right. What about like defensive taxes trainings where it's like, all right, uh, the two girls can pair up because we can't have, you know. Hate it. Like, yes. like, no, let's, I mean, you know, let's, let's get the big guy. Let's get the 6'5", 220 guy on top of the little one. Cause let's see how she can handle it. Like that's, a, that's what's going to happen on streets. I think it's also important to note that like most of the, and you know, you've probably seen some of my fight videos. I like to send them to you. Uh, most of the crazy people I fought have been the tiny, crazy little females that are hopped up on their mess and their, oh you know, yeah. I think some of the, the worst fights I've been in have been the little tiny females, too. And I think men can sometimes undermine that, like, oh, she's so small, I'm just going to manhandle her. I'm like, yeah, well, guess what? She's crazy. She's going to kick you in the place you don't want to be kicked. She's going to pull your hair. She's going to scratch your eyes out. Like, don't, don't. And she's wiry, too. Based on the she... gender and vice versa, because if you look at someone as a small target, like, Kat, you're, if, if someone looks at you and goes small, well, I wouldn't want to fight you. I've seen your Instagram. Like, you know? <laughs> Yeah. I'm not coming out thinking like, oh, she's small. She can't handle it. And I think a lot of guys can do that in the same vein that like a lot of girls can look at a male counterpart and be like, oh, well, I've always trained with females that are paired up to my size. Like, guess what? Big, big, uh, fat Albert at six, six, 300 pounds. Mm-hmm. Up he doesn't care that she's five foot two. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, chivalry, chivalry, I don't think has any place in law enforcement at all whatsoever. And, um, like, I was so fortunate to have guys that, they they knew better. Because I, I had a supervisor, and he's no longer with the agency, that he had made a comment to some of my, my, my squad. I was, like, the only female working in the entire county at night. But, oh, hey, if she goes out west where it's super dark and very remote, well, when you guys go with her? And oh my, my coworkers are like, Why? You know what I mean? They were like, she's got this. She's good. If she needs help, she'll ask. Needless to say, he's no longer at the agency. So there's that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I, all of it's just great. And um, it, it kind of, I think I want to say that the overarching theme of this episode is treat everyone like equals, right? Like that's what it comes mm-hmm. down to. And I've got a few more questions and we're going to talk about the ones that are not so equal. Um <laughs> The next one, we, we just talked about it, but if you guys have any additions, is do female subjects usually get more combative than with female officers? No, I don't think so. It, no, it, I, I think they recognize that, that 
I, I've always recognized that I know what women are capable of because I've seen girls fight. I fought with little tiny crackhead chicks. Again, the, the cat in the bathtub analogy. Cats are small. They will fuck you up if you try to put them in water. Um, so I think that what they what I've seen with female suspects is they try to play on the, um, again, the male um, stereotype of like, oh, I don't want to hurt this woman. And that's when bad things happen. Yep. And I think mm-hmm. a lot of times, too, is that... Um, if a person wants to fight, they're going to fight. And it's recognizing like the literal physiological signs, like this person's going to fight. I think sometimes we don't notice like, Oh, she's just being hysterical because she's a woman. No, she's being hysterical because she's about ready to throw one at you. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. recognize yes. the signs of a person that's ready to beat your ass. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Next question says, I'm trying to get the name here. It says DC Daytona. I don't know who that is. I don't think it's anyone. I, I actually, what you know that? I know what yeah. Okay, says so why is Kat such a badass? <laughs> it's it, it's it's funny. Well first of all, thank you. That's freaking awesome. Um no, I'm just doing my job. Like it's it's crazy. It's uh, but I, I asked that question a lot too. I was like, why is this chick such a badass? I actually I had a, a training company. I was gonna tell you this when we got off, but I'll tell you now. Uh, I had a training company reach out to me. Uh, they're having a conference that I was invited to oh. podcast, and they were like, hey, I need a female officer for a class. I was like, here's Kat. Go talk to her. I don't know if they reached out to you or not. Yeah, so he reached out to me. Um, I, I, I talked to him a little bit. Um, it depends on what my schedule is going to be like. So now that I'm in, um, I'm, I am go on call periodically. Uh-huh. My schedule is not as – it's somewhat more flexible, but at the same time not because I have times where I, you know, I'm on call and I can get called out whenever and I have to stay here pretty much. Local, so yeah, we're gonna ch- yeah, I gotta check my schedule to see what um, what it's like. But yeah, thank you. Yeah, of course. Um, all right, this one we did talk about this, but I, I want to get a little bit deeper. Maybe, what is your take on fe- oh, I'm sorry, not female on TikTok cops? So we <laughs> talked about the dancing. We talked about the hair in the in the in the moonlight and whatever, but. Where, what do you feel about, like, I guess we kind of talked about this in depth. Do you guys have any closing thoughts about TikTok cops? I can't say personally that I've known a TikTok cop that has been an effective street cop. Agreed. Okay. I know that kind of sounds ironic from someone. It, it sounds ironic. I, I don't do TikTok. I don't know how it works. It just, I'm, I, it's, Instagram is overwhelming enough. So I know it sounds ironic for me because I have a big following on Instagram, but I'm also not out there like dancing and, you know, right. doing all the stuff and portraying myself in a certain way. I have never seen, and I know some cops locally that are on TikTok, those people to be effective because the time that you're spending making some stupid video where you're in your car doing a hypothetical scenario, like whatever, you should take that time to train, work out, ride fire, do something else that's more productive and that's going to benefit your job. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna yeah, I, I have comments, but I should keep them to myself. Uh, you know, all <laughs> I think it's one of those things that's like, why are you doing this? Like, what is yes. your... Everything I do in my life, I have to ask myself, like, what are my intentions behind this? Uh-huh. And I think that there's a big difference between Instagram and TikTok. I'm sorry, there just is. It's generational, but also, like, the marketing. TikTok mm-hmm. is for instant gratification attention. You're watching a little boomerang loop of XYZ content. Whereas Instagram, there's a long caption, like it takes a little bit of effort to like get mm-hmm. a photo, you know, it, there's some yeah. thought behind it. Whereas TikTok to me, if you ask half these people, like, why are you doing that for the, for the mm-hmm. attention, you right. know, yeah. like, let me put some material. The TikToks do not bring 
valid training and this is not off the record tiktoks do not bring valid training or information to people in the career whereas i think Instagram posts can tiktok like sure you have fun you know goof off with your friends and stuff like that but if you if you monetize my job and make it seem like oh we're just gonna dance from the car you know that mm -hmm. you're not mm -hmm. doing oh, anything yeah. and any benefit to me in my uniform if anything you're mm -hmm. you're making it look like what are these people doing in their free time like you should be out exactly there yeah oh. whoever thinks that that humanizes the badge well first off i think that that term has just gotten so bastardized like to the point where it's like it is a like the original the love of police terms. <laughs> oh, that's beautiful. I love that. <laughs> I think it was survive policing. I've, I've started following that page and they have a lot of really good things. And I'm like, yes, they said that instead of humanizing the badge or doing TikToks, why don't you guys just bring back actually making arrests? And I yes. think I saw that little post and I was like, hell to the I sent that that whoever that runs that page. I'm like, hell yes. Right on. Yeah, because a TikTok, I just don't get it. It feels almost like this weird you wanting this weird narcissistic attention. Like you're, you're trying to like, Oh, like, absolutely. It, 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 that's what it is. It's narcissism. Cause you're doing like things like reenacting things on the, on the job that I've experienced. No guy, you haven't. Like, you let's haven't. be real. No, no, no. Uh, <laughs> I have a meme I made a really long time ago. I'm going to send it to you. Uh, <laughs> okay. you know, you know, Mad TV, Stuart. Look what I can do. Yeah. 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 So yeah, I made a meme a really long time ago and it's him. He goes, look what I can do. And it's every TikTok cop ever. You know, like, yeah, yeah, you're so full of yourself, and there's no Okay, so we're gonna wrap it up. I've got one last round of questioning for you, ladies, and then we will let you go have the rest of your Sunday night. Uh, this is called the mental minute. Uh, basically, I've got these 10 questions I'm gonna give you. It's supposed to be within a minute, but I got rid of the timer because I like when people actually answer the questions thoughtfully. Okay. So oh just don't think about them too crazy, okay? Um, okay. what's the best book or the last book you read recently? I'll start with Kat. Uh, oh. Fine, we'll start I with Laura. Say, okay, yeah, I'll start with you. Because I'm going to actually pull the book off my shelf right now. So. Okay. Uh, I can't remember which one it was. There's two of them because I was going back and forth. Either Start With Why or How to Influence Friends or How to Influence People and Make Friends. And I got them as like a gift. And the Start With Why was really good. It got a little bit repetitive, but it, it was so meaningful. And the How to Win Friends and Influence People was just good. It's a really good book about communication. And as a person sometimes like, struggles with communicating effectively and wants to work on that, it was, it was really good for that. The Start With Why book I have on the bookshelf over there. That was actually the first book I listened to on Audible. Loved it. Mm -hmm. And then I have the other one in my to-download list for It's good. It's really good. Nice. And Kat? So I think this is probably the same book that I talked about the last time I was on your podcast, but I just reread it. So The Beginner's Guide to Stoicism, I cannot stress this enough. It is such a great, it's literally changed my mindset and the way I perceive things and the way I let things affect me. Um, because it, you, it, it, I mean, it breaks down a lot of the teachings of Marcus Aurelius um, and Stoicism and a lot of other great philosophers. But the whole concept of it is like how is this going to affect me directly and i realized i was getting you know so emotional or having things bother me and they had no adver they really had no impact on my life so i'm like why am i expending energy and time being as upset or influenced by something that is not inside of my anything i can control um You're so i wish i would have this sooner it's just about having i guess emotional control nope you're yeah. absolutely right sorry you, my here it is 
I've got this right here. I've got meditations. Mm. And that's actually now I gotta get my book. In in reading meditations too, it's so the way that it's written is very difficult to understand. So I found that this book in particular breaks right. down a lot of the overlying themes of stoicism. It makes it easier to understand because if you just read med um, meditations just from the first page, you're going to get lost in the freaking in the words because it's just so the way it's, it's written all, for it's, sure. The way if you written. can find like um, kind of a dumbed down version or like a modernized written version, that's really good. There's a, a book. Again, going back to Audible, it's called The Practicing Stoic. And they, they basically take the Stoic, you know, quotes and kind of break them down by topic. So mm -hmm. that's pretty cool, too. Mm -hmm. Laura, go ahead. No, I, I bought this book. Actually, think, I was thinking of you. I swear to God, I thought of it before <laughs> I saw this. I'm like, I'm going to buy it. So it's called The Stoic Challenge, A Philosopher's Guide to Becoming Tougher, Calmer, and More Resilient. Um, and it's it was like in the... For people in careers section, and like there's a couple books there, mm -hmm. like at Barnes and Noble, and I picked it up. And I saw the Stoic Challenge, and I was thinking of you because I remember you talked about that book that you were just mm -hmm. talking about. And um, it was on sale, it was marked down, had the blue dot on it. So I was like, you know, for $9.99, what the heck? And I have mm -hmm. not started it yet, but I'm super stoked. So I, I read the back of it, and then I read like the first page. Um, and it breaks it down like. Mm -hmm into how it breaks it down into steps basically like it is literally written out like a challenge for you like okay you know here here's part one it's dealing with life challenges here's the psychology behind it and here's like how to move yes. forward that's yeah. awesome yeah and i mean i've been kind of preaching the whole stoic thing for a long time i was just looking i'm trying to find all my stoic books on my bookshelf right now and i can't mm -hmm. but there's just so many of them so I, it's really mm -hmm. cool it kind of warms me in my heart to see that you guys are going that path and then mm -hmm. you're obviously having some books that I've already read. So it's really cool. Um, next question is what is something you do to ground yourself? We'll go with Laura first. Uh, you know, working out and I like if people that know me in my personal life know that like, I've always been kind of like a gym person. I've always done it, but I, in the past I went and worked out for like aesthetics. Now I work out for like, I need this as me time. This is me bettering myself so that I can be better for other people. So whether yes. it's me going for a run, me going for a swim, me lifting weights, like me doing something to nourish my body is me grounding myself because I don't have to think about work. I'm not going out there, you know, hitting it hard. I'm going in here to make my body better so that I can go out there tomorrow and be better for everybody else. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Great. I would okay. say for me, definitely <laughs> – so I, my friends that are going to listen to this are like, you were talking about CrossFit. So make fun of me. Yes, CrossFit. So, but beyond the, the physical things, like what you said, one of the things that I really challenge myself is just kind of with introspection. And I look at, especially like I examine, um, I like to journal. I think it's a really useful tool. It's a really useful tool in psychology, especially with processing trauma or dealing with really, um, big things. And I found that it helps to, especially if I have something that's been ruminating my brain all day. I write it down and at the end of the day, I don't have to, or like when I go to bed, it's not in there anymore. So it's actually like a therapeutic tool. Mm -hmm. But um, thinking about like in learning from my failures, learning from successes and learning from failures. So introspect and introspectiveness in that way. And I think failure is a really great teacher. So I think that's something I ground myself because I'm like, okay, it's really easy to get hung up on 
and I, I guess I took my when you're the question and grounding yourself in a different way. I'm looking at it emotionally because you touched on the physical piece. It's really easy to be like, oh man, I've done X, Y, Z. That's cool. Okay, well, what areas that am I lacking in? What are some mm-hmm. things I can do better at? I try to ch- constantly challenge myself to be a better person. Yeah, that's a really good way of taking it. I like that. Mm-hmm. Next one, kind of in the same same vein, is what is something you do for self care? We'll just start with cat first. Um, beyond the gym and eating well, um, I, I try not to eat trashy, although every once in a while I love my Chick-fil-A. I'm going to go off in, in left field here, um, skincare and, uh, sunscreen, sunscreen use. I cannot stress this enough, y'all. Um, even when I work night shifts, I always wore sunscreen because there's, I'm, I'm 38. Um, so I'm starting to see some wow. of the effects. I would have never, I, that, that was a shock. Oh, really? Wow. Yeah. Yeah. It's because I wear sunscreen. So that's what I was getting at. Yeah. <laughs> so my self care, I guess, in beyond the the PT and eating well and doing all the physical things, also too, I'm a skincare whore. So and people don't okay. know that about me. <laughs> yeah. Laura. Well, she took my skincare one because that was the first thing I thought about physical self care. Um, so I'm, I'll mm-hmm. change up the pace a little bit too. Music. Um, mm, yes, yes, yes. Music yes. for me, and it's funny. So I, I recently had this conversation with a really good friend. And he was talking about how, like, oh, you know, when you're in the car and, like, you just want to zone out and listen to your your music and stuff like that. And someone mm-hmm. always turns the radio down and they want to start talking. It's like, dude, there's something so therapeutic about my drive home and listening to some songs. And, li- like, really, especially especially a song that has meaning to me, letting it resonate. Mm-hmm. Like, music is one of those things that transcends all cultures, all languages. You know, a note mm-hmm. is a note. A song's a song. So it's something for me, especially growing up in like a musical household, that I have a bad day, I have a song for that. I have a good day, I have a song for that. I'm going through a breakup, I have a song for that. I'm in love, I have a song yes. for that, you know? And music to me is my therapy. There's nothing, and so what I've started doing is like when I have that tough call, on my drive back, crank it up. Like I will blast, a, I'll blast something, because... Mm-hmm. I'm not saying, like, I'm shutting out, like, the demons or anything like that, but it kind of helps me, like, it's like white noise where I'm like, okay, mm-hmm. like, that, that's what I need to focus on mm-hmm. right now. Like, I can deal with this later when I'm ready to acknowledge these things and process them in a, in a time where I can, so I can't do it right now. Mm-hmm. Or I can't break down. got to be tough. Like, music has always been my therapy. That is my self-care. Nice. Mm-hmm. Would you open up an envelope with your death date written on the inside? No. No. Uh-uh. Ooh, I don't know. Part of me wants to say yes because I just like I'm nosy and I want to like know. <laughs> but at the same time, I would probably go with no. Okay. Um, really, truly, that shouldn't affect the way I live my life as a human being. I should. My focus should always to be to to live a fulfilled life, to not be a shitty person, and knowing when you're gonna die shouldn't dictate the way you live your life. Yeah, agree. Agree. All right, we're going to go back to Kat. Would you be friends with yourself? Uh, I think so. <laughs> okay. Um, I, I, I try to, yeah, man, maybe myself now, maybe myself when I was younger, I was a little bit spicier and hot-headed. Um, I think so. I try to be a good friend for other people like I would want to be for, you know, you know myself. Um, yeah. Okay. Laura? <laughs> Absolutely. Um a our, our close friend uh, a close friend of mine gave me some life advice 
a long time ago. I'm still friends with her. And it was actually a poem. She like sent me this poem. She was like, oh, I thought you really liked this. And one of the lines in it was, be the person that you need it or be the person that you need. And like, that has been my life mm -hmm. motto since that day, like 10 years mm -hmm. ago. I, and I went through my trials and tribulations too. And I was not always a kind person. I was not, I, I'm mature enough to realize that I was the toxic person sometimes. And sometimes things didn't go my way because I was at fault. Um, yep. But taking accountability and moving past that, I strive every day to be the person that like I need. And I need a good friend. Mm -hmm. Everybody needs a good friend. Everyone needs the person that they can call up when they, you know, they need a listening ear. Everyone needs the person that they can trust that whatever they talk to mm -hmm. about isn't going to blab it out to everybody that, you know, the person that, hey, maybe I had a couple too many. Can you come get me? Like someone needs some mm -hmm. dependable kind. Like I, I needed that person for a long time and I didn't have it. So now it's my goal in life to just be that person for as many people while also protect mm -hmm. my own, you know, self because burnout is real, especially when you keep giving and giving and giving and giving to people that don't necessarily reciprocate it. But the people that do, I, I'll give anything to. So to, mm -hmm. to have someone like that, you know, I would want that person in my life. And I try to be that person. Perfect. All right, back to Laura. What do you want from other people? <laughs> uh, you know what? <laughs> it kind of goes into what I just said. You know, there's respect. Mutual effort. If I'm gonna if I'm gonna be a good friend to you, I expect you to meet me halfway. If I'm gonna be a good mm -hmm. zone partner, if I'm gonna take half the late calls, you know, I expect you to come through for me when I have something after work that I need to go to. If I'm gonna be taking overtime shifts the day that I need off, I, I would hope that you'd pull through for me. Like I just expect a mutual amount of effort from people. Okay, Kat. I would add to that honesty being honest like if 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 shit's not going good and i'm, I'm applying this to like my, my personal life if something has happened you did something you were a shitty human own it and we'll get past it yep. you know what i mean i i can't not i cannot stand when people are not genuine human beings or do not want to tell the truth because like we're cops like eventually we'll figure the fuck out you know what i mean so especially as it as it pertains to personal relationships I have to have that honesty and that integrity there. Cause if that's not there, I can deal with whatever else we can get past. We can talk about, but if I have somebody that lies to me, that's a, that's a no go. Love it. Next one. Going back to cat. What sort of impact are you looking to make and how will you make it? Ooh. Um, are we talking about like in the job, just in life? In life. Okay. Um, I always try to be the kind of person like we were just talking about that I wish I had in the beginning of my career. The kind of person, the kind of mentor that I had in the beginning of my career, because I didn't have one. So I had to figure out a lot of things like the hard way. Um, and granted, I figured it out and I had some people that helped me later on along the way. But I, I try to be that person for other people to give that good little nuggets of wisdom. Hey, these are some things that I learned now that I think I wish if I had this in the inception of my career, I would be a lot further along in a lot of regards. But yeah, being that person that I wish I would have had to start with. And that also to, you know, yeah. I think that's Perfect. Nice. Laura? I mean, you stole it right out of my mouth. That, that's, mm -hmm. that's exactly it. And I think something to be, something to be like commented and added on to that is like being willing to take 
being willing to take a, a role of leadership in that sense of like, mm-hmm. hey, you know, I have something to offer. I'm going to, because I think sometimes mm-hmm. it's hard to, at least for me, like, I don't want to come across as that person that's like, I have something to offer. I have something you want. Mm-hmm. But sometimes you need to take that role and be like, hey, let me show you the way. Because, again, mm-hmm. I didn't have that either. I came on and I did not have that role model mentor that I wish I had. And now I look in my future and, you know, I know that I still have a lot to learn. I've, I have so much to learn. Mm-hmm. Um, I have so much to grow still and I'm still very young in my career. But I look long term like, you know, I would love to be that teacher that you don't look back and say, oh, this freaking guy, you know, taught me at the academy. He was an idiot. Like yeah. putting myself yeah. in those positions where I can make a difference. Seizing the opportunity. Yeah, and- and then going like with you, what you said too, to kind of piggyback what you said earlier, um, I felt like I made that impact um, when I was an FTO because I, I had such a negative experience where I first started my job with being treated like, like in like there's the old school way of FTO, like, oh, you're not allowed to sit with us. We're going to treat you like shit. We're going to put applications to Burger King in your mailbox or whatever the case was. Yep. You know, I, I want people that I train, um, to be better than me. That's part of like what you're saying too, is being a good leader is I want to impart all these little nuggets of wisdom. Hopefully they'll sink in. And I want you to be better than I was able to be in my career. And I feel like that impact I was able to make on FTO was so significant because you're dealing with people that are in that, you know, the infancy stage of their career where they're learning things. If they're learning from people that are shitbags. They're going to be shitbag cops later on. Yeah. And the people that gatekeep knowledge are doing nothing. You know, what are you holding that information from? Knowledge is power, you know? Yes. Absolutely. All right. We have two more for you, ladies. Um, I guess we'll go to Laura for this one. How do you define the word happy and what makes you happy? That's, uh, That's a tough one. Um, Nothing makes me happy. Finding the word happy. So I, I, it's a phrase I say, especially when things get tough, is when my head hits the pillow at night, I'm good. I sleep just fine. And what I mean by that is I go to sleep at night knowing that, again, I've been the person that I need. I'm an honest person. I respect my work. I have integrity in who I am as a person. You know, I have good relationships with a majority of the people in my life. And the the faults that I've had, like you were saying, Kat, like, I can accept that. I can acknowledge Mm -hmm. that. I know that there's still things I need to work on. I know that I still have demons that I haven't addressed. I know that there is so much to build within myself. Mm -hmm. And I breathe a sigh of relief because there is so much to look forward to. There's so Mm -hmm. much in my life to look forward to that I haven't done yet and that I haven't accomplished Mm -hmm. yet. And mm-hmm. I'm willing to. So to me, that is happiness. Like I'm, I'm happy with the fact that like, I know I'm. I I know to my core that I'm a good person, and the things that aren't good about me, I get to work on, and I will work on the things that make me happy. I mean, I'm, I, that's a cliche. Obviously, my family, my friends, uh, you, your memes, you know. Happy is subjective. You're the only person that said that, so you (laughs) you win. Happy is a mindset, though, is because you can have these people that have everything handed to them, they have everything, and they're freaking miserable. And you can have people that have nothing, and they're happy because, again, it's it's that mentality. And to me, like the mindset of just, hey, think like 
I'm good. And I'm going to be good no matter what. Like, I mm. am going to get through this. Yes. Has changed my way, my perception of what happiness is. Like, I'm going okay. to be okay no matter what. I will win. I will win this. I will always win this. And I will always go to sleep at night with my head hitting the pillow knowing that I'm good. I'm going to sleep just fine. I, I have a word for that. And we call that back in Detroit. We call it grit. Somebody that's got grit. The ability to persevere no matter what. Like, I know that if... If like, you know, my whole, my house were to burn down tomorrow and everything, you know, were to, I know that I would be good. I know I could pull myself out of that hole. Exactly what you're saying. Okay. Yeah. Um, but I would say like what you said to kind of put it, I guess, in a more broad sense for me, I'm looking at happiness, especially being not, not my twenties, being a little bit older is being personally fulfilled. Um, and I, I look at it now. I'm like, I wanted to have personal personal fulfillment in my life i want to have enriching relationships i want to have people that are in my world that are going to make me a better person that i love um you know i don't i don't know if the family thing is going to happen that we'll see but i mean i i, I guess i extrapolated out a little bit further than just my career because when i was younger I'm like, okay, happiness to me is being able to like, kick ass and do X, Y, Z. And if I get this, then I'll be good. And then I realized I was just chasing infinitely this thing that, I, okay, I got this thing, but I still don't feel happy. And I realized the problem was kind of in myself. And really that's, again, that self-reflection of, am I personally fulfilled? And I realized that personal fulfillment transcends, I mean, obviously, like, money is important to survive, but it transcends money or materialistic things. Um, and I found that... Um, having really good and enriching interpersonal relationships with friends, family, loved ones was really the thing that I would say defines me and happiness. Perfect. And our last question tonight, ladies, first off, thank you for everything. This last one is what do you think is the meaning of life? Oh, Jesus. Go ahead. Yeah. Save the best for last. We'll go with cat. Uh, uh, can we come back to me? <laughs> sure. I, th I think the meaning, I mean, I think really the meaning of life, again, just to kind of just touch on what we just talked about, is being able to be, have a fulfilled life, which that transcends money, it transcends career, it transcends materialistic things. At the end of the day, when I'm 100 years old and I'm freaking in my deathbed, whatever, am I going to look back at my life and say, you know what? I wish I would have worked more hours. Probably not. Mm -hmm. um, am I going to look and be like, you know what? I had a great, you know, family, husband, maybe kids, whatever. And all these people that are around me that love me, that's the things that matter. I realized like, and especially, and I'm sure you guys can probably relate when you see so much fucked up shit and you see, you see death on a daily basis, people shot, stabbed, whatever. I felt like it made me appreciate being alive more and made me appreciate the people in my life more. So really just the self-fulfillment aspect, I think maybe is the meaning of life. That's probably the best answer that I could give. <laughs> I like it. I like it. Laura? I think kind of, well, I'll start off with that because I'll say again, I think the meaning of life is intrinsic. It's going to be different to every person. But for me, mm -hmm. you know, I am not the most religious person. I'm a spiritual person, though. And mm -hmm. I believe that every day that we wake up, we have an opportunity, we, we have endless opportunity, right? You know, like it's, I always joke and I'm like, when you, you ever played those like video games where like you have a main quest line, but then you have all these side quest lines, like you can do whatever you want and you can never actually do the main quest line. You can just like venture off into life and do it. You can venture off into your life and do whatever the heck you want. 
And at the end mm -hmm. of the day, you can be a really shitty person or you can be a really good person. You can wake up and mm -hmm. decide, hey, I'm going to hit the bottle or I'm going to smoke some crack or I'm just going to sit at home all day. Or you can go out and say, I'm going to leave my life in the world better than I found it, better than I woke up today. Like, what can I do today to do something right? You know, and I think those things start to add up over time where if you continually, because no one's perfect, right? Someone's going to make a mistake. Someone's going to make a poor choice. But living a life full of meaning where you've continually made those good choices, made the effort to be a better person, made the effort to leave mm -hmm. the world a little bit better than you found it. You know, I always joke, the people that push their shopping carts back, if everyone did that, the world would be perfect. There'd be no world, you know, but <laughs> Butterfly making, effect. making, yeah, well, exactly. Making mm -hmm. a conscious effort to be better because if, if I'm better, then maybe someone will look at me and be like, Hey, she did that. She did something really good mm -hmm. today. So like, I want to do something really good today. And it, it not to get sad, but it reminds me of the pat it forward. Like, what can I do to pass something positive on that? Mm -hmm. Then in there's this ripple effect that in 20 years, you know, maybe mm -hmm. the generation after us will be left with something a little bit better than what we were handed. And that mm -hmm. there's, it, it keeps going. And like you, t you cast that stone to the pond of positivity and the ripples will just keep going that, you know, I hope that generationally, I can make an effect that when I die, mm -hmm. you know, my life's meaning will be that someone looks and they're like, you know, she was a really good person. She made a yep. big difference in her, in her world, even if it's a small little community of mine, you know, did I make a difference? Did I leave the world better than I found it? One more thing that I was just popped up in my brain as you were talking that I think is really good. And it just kind of like all of our pieces, the things that we're saying are all kind of compounding on each other. One thing I thought was really interesting, and I always tell this to people, it's never too late to change your life, like to turn your life around. And I say this to Definitely. people um, because um, I've had family members that have struggled with drug addiction and mental illness and stuff like that. And it didn't change the way I still arrested people for dope. I'm not going to be hug a thug, but I would always explicitly tell them when people were in my backseat, like, listen, you know, my family member that was addicted to XYZ drug, they got their shit together and they're living a great life. You're never at a point in your life where you're so far gone that you can't, you know what, decide I'm going to make a small change, which might sometime in the future snowball into a bigger change. So that's the other thing too. You're never too far along in life to really, I mean, unless you're in prison for the rest of your life, then <laughs> you might be a little bit too far gone. No, I'm just kidding. Um, but for the most part, you're never too far gone to start being a good person and trying to make changes in your positive changes in your life. Yeah, I agree. Well, ladies, this has been absolutely amazing i feel like we like we say we solved all the world's problems tonight i think we really uh reworked a whole lot of different things it, it far exceeded my even my expectations so i want to thank you guys for your time your insight all that um as we say good night is there anything you guys want to say in closing uh to the listenership or, or whichever um before we close out i would say um I, it, I I just love all the people that reach out across the country that I chit chat these cops from all the, across the country that share all their cool, awesome personal experiences and stories with me. Um, thing, and I learned so much from talking with other people about just like this job in general. It's just such a, and that's why I love social media. It's such a cool platform to be able to talk to people, get feedback and give feedback. It's great. I love it. And I, I love throwing a little, like like I said, little nuggets of wisdom out into the universe, and hopefully someone picks up something, they, and it makes a positive impact in their life. 
Definitely. Yeah, I was going to say, I, I hope that any, like, even if it's one person that listens to this, mm-hmm. and I know that there's not just one listener, like, if there's one person that listens and gets one piece of information, I love it, one little nugget of information, then we did the right thing, right? So I would say just, you know, everyone that's listening to this, if there's something in here that resonates, like, take it. Take it and then share it. Share it. Again, gatekeeping that, like, if you're like, oh, this really resonated with me, but I'm not going to tell mm-hmm. anybody, then it doesn't go, it doesn't get past Right, that, like, that accomplishes nothing. Bring it to your agency. Bring it to your agency. Bring it up in briefing, you know, bring it up when you're doing mm-hmm. a shift coffee and be like, hey, I listen to this podcast, uh, and they talked about this, like, what do you guys think? I feel this way, you know, mm-hmm. because like you were saying, too, I, I loved your comment earlier, where, like, having engaging conversations with people that you might not have the same uh, belief prior to. Oh yeah, it's so rewarding for both sides, you know. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Well, ladies, thank you so much for your time, as always, and uh, we will talk soon. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks. Any, <laughs> no problem. And if anyone has any questions for him, you can always hit them up on their socials. I'll tag them in the post and everything like that. We'll talk to you soon, everyone listening. Stay tuned. I'll be right back. I'll be honest, guys, when that episode was recorded, I really didn't know where it was going to go, and it went into such a magical place naturally. Just that's where their minds went. You know, I really thought this was going to be kind of like a hack episode, just joking and ragging on bullshit, and it actually had so much substance to it, and we could have easily kept going. I mean, two hours, that's that's quite some time. But I feel like there was some humor mixed into it and a bunch of stuff. Sorry that the sound was off. Uh, the the platform that I do my recordings on, it kind of got all cattywampus. So, which, by the way, what a great word is cattywampus. Anyway, that being said, hopefully the, the quality of the conversation outweighed the co- the quality of the sound, which I feel like I've said a couple times this season and I apologize for that I've been trying new things and this is what happens so anyway it was my mission statement when we started season 3 to focus more on mental health of cops not talk shop and this did have a bit of shop talk but really I think it all blended in with the mental health aspect I think it was beautiful I think it was great once again a big shout out to my two guests Kat and Laura I think it really um was such an important conversation guys go give them a follow on their social medias and um they deserve all your support that's about it for today my friends thank you so much for joining us speaking of people that need your support uh, i'm gonna be talking about myself real quick listen guys 10-8 is a passion project of mine i put a lot of time and a lot of effort into it the podcast and the and the meme page you know that it comes and goes ebbs and flows 
Look at the, look at me rhyming. Look at that. Anyway, um, I'm very happy with the product I put out. Very proud of it. Please, guys, do me a favor and get the word out. Share this episode. Share your favorite episode. I don't even care. Out with your buddies. Um, I've got, I think we're over 100 episodes now. I really got to do the tally. But go, please, check it out or spread the word. Uh, let's get my numbers up there. Let's see if I can get back on the Google uh, top whatever lists. It's been quite some time ever first season i was listed as a comedy podcast and then i changed it to so uh was a society and culture and it, i fell off and i haven't gone back on so if we can try to bump that back up that would be awesome and i i really think we got some big things coming if that happens next week on monday we have the jersey boys and it's gonna be me and frank we're gonna be talking turkey we're gonna be talking thanksgiving we're gonna be talking about frank's trip up to massachusetts and a whole bunch of stuff in between that and then on thursday for the 10-8 episode we have dina kale from california she is a therapist and she works with law enforcement directly we're going to talk about burnout we're going to be talking about trauma and a bunch of other good stuff the following week we got punk rock cops and my buddies from the heroed out podcast coming out on thanksgiving lots of good stuff coming up folks follow that we have our, our relationship episode super hyped about that and we just keep going so please Get the word out. Keep supporting us. Also, merch. We're going to have some special Christmas stuff coming up soon. So check that out. 10-8-memes.ecwid.com. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for hanging out this week. We'll see you next time. Until that time, folks, this is 10-8 saying take care of each other and stay safe. See you next time. 10-8 out. Wait for me, said. Don't you swallow it
You used the time to train me